welcome to the United Nations of Horror. I'm Becky Booth from the UK and today I'm joined by Matt from London, UK, Mike from Chicago in the US, and Lucard Dragomir from Atlanta, Georgia. Yes, we have Lucard back. Welcome. Thank you. It's very good to be back after so long away. Really happy to be back here at the United Nations of Horror. It's uh it's good to be home. <laughs> yeah, we've missed you. Yeah. Ah, man, I've missed all you guys. But it was a good journey. And also, as I was telling you guys before we started here, we, um, my wife and I ended up moving while all this was going on. Uh, so I'm in a totally new location here. So it's, it's pretty cool. But life always hits you all at once. That's what I found. Definitely. I'll change. Well, um, today's show is the first installment of our Extreme Cinema series, and we'll be kicking things off with Martyrs from 2008, um, and we'll be talking a little bit about the remake, I believe. But before we do, um, if we get straight into what everybody's been watching or reading this week, uh, Matt, you watched Dallas Buyers Club. I did, yeah. I realise I'm a little bit behind everybody on this one, um, but it's been sat in my watch list for a long time. So... Um... Yeah, I thought I'd, thought I'd catch up on it this week. Um, and for those people who don't know, it's about um, a guy who was uh, diagnosed with AIDS, a guy called Ron Woodruff, I think. Um, and uh, he's not a particularly nice guy. He's a bit of a, a, bit of a racist homophobe. But uh, he, he, he kind of turns a corner and he sets out to try and, um, try and help himself and other AIDS sufferers get the drugs that they need to help, um, help prolong their lives a bit. Um, and I thought it was really, really good. Um, great performance from Matthew McConaughey and, uh, and Jared Leto, 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 I don't know which one. Um, and he, who is virtually unrecognizable. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's based on true events, I believe. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, recommend definitely. Yeah, my um, my nan's a huge fan of the film and all the actors and she tries to get me to watch it every time I go home. And <laughs> Have you not seen not- it? No, and it's not the ah. kind of lightest film, is it, to watch, no, you know, no, when you're back not. home for a weekend. But so... it's not particularly depressing either, I, 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 because it, it is about someone who's trying to make things better for people. So, but yeah, it's, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, and it was interesting to see Matthew McConaughey's Oscar speech as well when he won. Oh, wait, I haven't seen that? that. No, no, what happened? Uh, it's quite funny. No, no, it wasn't anything like controversial or anything, but it just it's just Matthew McConaughey, you know, I had a good laugh <laughs> watching that. Yeah. And I mean, he, he lost a lot of weight for this. He looks, um, you know, skeletal. It's it's uh, one of those kind of roles. And uh, yeah, as mm, I said, Jared right. Leto looks looks great. I mean, you know, dressed up as a transvestite, but he, he, he really plays that role well. So, yeah, very, very good. Definitely. And I'm kind of, are they calling it a reconnaissance with Matthew McConaughey? Yes, yes, I mean, I'm a huge yeah, I'm a huge, huge fan of True Detective, and hopefully um, we could cover that at some point. That'd be good. That would be very interesting. Yeah, I, I watched the, the first season recently, so um, yeah, yeah, very, very good. Yeah, definitely. Um, so moving on, Mike, you watched Macbeth. Was that the most recent adaptation? Yes, it's the one that came out just this past year with uh, Michael Fassbender as Macbeth. And this is one I've been really dying to watch, uh, so I was really happy to come across it. And I really have zero familiarity with Macbeth. I, I, the only other version I've seen is uh, Kurosawa's uh, Throne of Blood. And so this is, well, this is my first watching of Macbeth in English, I guess. And I've never read the book or, or the play, I mean. And so this was all really new to me. And I got to say, it's, well, if you don't know the story of Macbeth, 
Macbeth, he fought for King Duncan in, in some war. And we open up in this battle where him and his army come out victorious. But it, during the battle, he loses a lot of soldiers. In fact, a lot of young soldiers, a couple of young boys die. And when the battle's over, he sees these, I believe it was three witches, and they say, Hail Macbeth, the Thane of Glamis, I think it was called, and uh, the future king of Scotland. And so he goes back, and him and only his friends, Bequo, Bequo, something like that, him and his friend, they, they go back, and it stays between them until Macbeth tells his wife, and so his wife says, you have to kill King Duncan and become king. And then one night, King Duncan comes to their home for a feast, and then everything just kind of takes a turn for the darker down the path. And for somebody who, I, you know, I've seen Shakespeare films, and obviously it's a bit harder to understand, but you're able to kind of take, you're able to use context clues to get through it. But... Man, this movie is really hard to understand. Like, oh my god. Like, I had Wikipedia pulled up the entire time. I, cause I had to read like 20 minutes ahead just to understand what I was watching. That being said, that may sound annoying, but I thought it was totally worth it. I, I still love this movie. I think while I don't fully understand a lot of the dialogue that was being said, I thought all the actors delivered it just perfectly. I think the whole cast here is great. And, uh, what's the director's name? Justin Kurtzel. He's an extraordinary filmmaker. Like, this is just brilliant filmmaking here. It looks gorgeous. The direction is really creative. It really makes... It's one of those movies that really makes you feel like you're in the time that it takes place. And I just loved watching it from beginning to end. Uh, I was totally glued to the screen. Uh, I totally didn't mind doing work to understand what was going on because it was just... It's the most visually gorgeous film I've seen in a long time. How this isn't nominated for Best Cinematography just totally blows my mind. How this isn't nominated for any Oscars blows my mind. But the conversation about the Oscars, that's a whole nother thing. But at the end of the day, I still, I love this movie and I can't wait to pick it up on Blu-ray and watch it again. I totally love this. Is, this is one I'm interested in as well, Mike. Now, is it the, the old English dialogue that sort of makes it difficult to understand? If you want to call it English, I, don't, I speak English, and I got no idea what they were saying. <laughs> it's all right. Yeah, we, I mean, we don't even understand the the books, so it's fine. Oh yeah. <laughs> wow. Shakespearean God. English is is it's yeah, something yeah, else, it's, isn't it? <laughs> it's different. It really oh, is. Yeah. I mean, I read Macbeth in high school or college, and I I don't know what it's about either, honestly. But uh, that being said, yeah, that that's really exciting to me to hear that this movie is so good. So I'm gonna have to definitely check that one out yeah and this same cast and crew the director one of the writers and michael fassbender they're all next year we get the or this year later this year we get the assassin's creed movie coming out and they're making it and i'm oh really i'm excited for that i think that's perfect i hope i mean it's still a big studio movie so they may just fuck that up but i i'm excited to see what justin kurtzel does with that because i think what he after watching this, I would have definitely said this guy needs to do the Assassin's Creed movie. So yeah, because normally video game movies, you know, they're they're pretty rough. Yeah, ten out of nine uh, times they suck. Yes, and I love Assassin's Creed. And Assassin's Creed, it's it's a weird game because I love it despite all of its flaws. You know, it has so many issues. Yeah. But well, it's a video I feel game. Like, yeah, 
I feel like this last Assassin's Creed game, though, they they actually really got it right. And I haven't finished that one, but uh, which one was that? Like, Is that what I play? Syndicate. Uh, uh, yeah, I think it's Syndicate, the one that takes place in London. Yes, Syndicate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I've got it. So I haven't far. played it yet, but I'm I'm planning to. It's next on my list. Oh man. Yeah, let me know what you think of it when you yeah, do play we'll do, it. Yeah. Okay, and um, Lucard, you have been watching X Files. Oh yes, the long trek through X Files. I'm on season seven now, and my thought process was okay i'm gonna be doing this trip and i'm gonna have a lot of extra time i'll watch x files and finish up just in time to watch the new series well that didn't happen i was so busy i was able to maybe take in uh one episode a night but i really i continue to enjoy it season seven it's really good thus far but with the pre with all of x files i should say uh there's a lot of filler in the series. So, you know, it, it's got that sort of supernatural thing going where um, something major will happen and then there are four or five episodes that have absolutely nothing to do with that. And it sort of just wants, makes you want to bang your head against the wall and be like, ah, why are they doing this? I just want to get on with the plots. But uh, yeah, I know there's a lot of talk about the new X-Files on Fox and I've tried to avoid that, but Oh man, I just at this point I want to be able to finish the series to get to the new stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean I'm doing the same as you, and I'm still on series two because it's been so busy. So I'm just trying to avoid anything to do with the um, the new series, but I'm very excited for it. I've heard good things thus far, so yes, me too. And a few pictures I've seen, I'm very kind of happy about. So I know there's a conversation going on uh, on one of the Facebook groups that I think we're all involved in, and. You know, it talks about X-Files and um, for you guys, did you watch the series when it was originally on? Is it something you came to later? I watched some when they were on um, because I was a bit younger, um, but then I kind of caught with it again when I was a bit older. I think I watched the first few seasons when they were first on and and then I think I lost lost interest a little bit, so... Um, but I'm I'm also trying to catch up as well. But I'm I'm even worse. I'm still in season one, so I've got a long way to go. But um, yeah, really enjoying it so far. It's really nice to revisit those characters, and uh, and yeah, it's really good. I feel like they just need a major retrospective just to catch everybody up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? I watched Trick or Treat this week from 1986, and that was recommended to me by Brian Christopher from the uh, UNH Facebook group. And we were talking on, I think, horror, etc., about uh, urban legend films. And he mentioned this one in relation to the satanic panic of the 80s. Um, and it's one that I've never caught. So I thought I'd give it a go. And I really enjoyed it. It's basically about a teenager whose um, idol, a rock god, is killed and he's haunted by his ghost. And it's really fun. You know, it's very 80s. And I'd recommend, if you haven't caught it, which I expect most people have, um, it's, it's a lot of fun. Have you seen it? No, I've, I've not seen it. Um, so this is this is definitely not the uh, trick or treat from no, not, not, trick not or so treat. long ago. Uh, <laughs> yeah, see, that's what I thought it was. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought it was too. Uh, no, I've not, I've not seen it. I haven't even heard of it. Yeah, it's, it's um, like I say, it's really fun, uh, quite, you know, humorous, some fun gore effects and just it's kind of like a love letter to, to rock, basically. Okay, I'll have to check that one out. Yeah, and it has um, special appearances by Gene Simmons and Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> Even better. Yeah, the latter is pretty funny, actually. I feel like if you're going to do a movie about rock, you have to have those two in there. <laughs> Completely. 
And Matt, you also watched Intouchables. Yeah, yeah. So this is um, this is actually a French movie, uh, not a horror movie at all. Um, in fact, completely the opposite. Um, it's a kind of sort of comedy slash drama, dramedy. Um, <laughs> so yeah, no, it's it, it's um, a, just an incredibly heartwarming, um, funny story about uh, this millionaire called Philippe, and he's he's a quadriplegic, so he, he's you know completely um, uh, immobile from the neck down. So he has to have, you know, like constant 24 hour care. And he uh, basically takes a risk and, and, and takes this this guy on as his carer, a guy called Driss. Um, and it's just a it's just a kind of classic tale of two people from completely different backgrounds who just kind of hit it off uh, and make a connection. And um, I think up to this point in his life, Philippe was kind of, um, you know, life was just kind of so so just just kind of ticking along. Um, but Driss really kind of brings a bit of fun back into his life, helps him to kind of believe in living again. Cause I think, I think, um, you know, Philippe had got to the point where he, he really didn't really care too much about life anymore. I really enjoyed it. This is also based on true events, um, like Dallas Buyers Club. So that there actually were two guys and this happened to them. This is a very, very good film. I thought you should definitely watch it if you haven't seen it. And I actually found that these two films were quite a good palate cleanser after watching a film like Martyrs because I bet. they just kind of remind you oh, that yeah. there is, there is good in the world. There's still a bit of good in the world. Yes, horrible stuff does happen to people. And even, you know, even, even, even things like, you know, when people, do uh, become you know injured or whatever and uh, even in that situation when you think things are really really bad there is still there is still good people out there and there's there is still um good left in the world so yeah that was a a very strong recommend i would say and untouchable or the, the untouchables from 2011 that sounds really cool i would like to see this yeah yes definitely. yeah and mike you watched regression uh yes this is um, a, a new film i think it comes out in in some form this week whether it's a limited run or straight to di- a digital format but this is a film written directed by i'm trying to say his name alejandro amenabar who wrote and directed uh the film the others with nicole kidman i believe it takes place in 1990 or in the early 90s at some point and Ethan Hawke, he plays a, a detective, and he gets caught up in this case about this dad who claims that he uh, molested his daughter, played by Emma Watson, but he doesn't remember it. He teams up with the psychoanalysis played by David Thewlis, and this just unravels this whole potential Satanist cult that could be inhabiting the town. And it's really just this mystery of finding out, okay, what's really going on here? And I don't want to, I won't say too much beyond that, but man, this is a really good film. It's a bit uneven in places. I think towards the end, there's about 20 minutes in the beginning of the third act that kind of 20, 30 minutes that kind of slows down a bit. But overall, for a slow burn thriller, this, you know what? Have you guys ever seen. Oh, what was it called? Deliver Us from Evil came out a few years ago. Uh, the film by the director of an exorcism—sorry, the exorcism of Emily Rose. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. This is what this movie is. What I think that movie should have been. This actually works really well with Emily Rose. I think Emily Rose is a much better film, but 
there's something about the slow burn, a real kind of crime mystery around it that I really, really enjoyed uh, going through. And it starts out real. I mean, I, I'd say the first maybe 40, 50 minutes is great. And although you get that 20, 30 minutes, it slows down. It, it arrives to a conclusion, like a final 15 minutes that I really loved. Uh, I don't think everybody, everybody's going to love the ending, but it wasn't this big explosive kind of finale. There wasn't a huge twist, but there was a reveal and I was all with it. One of my, I think, biggest complaints here is Emma Watson, who I think is a very talented actress. And in moments she works here, but she's doing this American accent. And I know she can do an American accent. I've seen her do it before, but it was really in and out. Like you could really feel you could hear that English accent coming through. I mean, there were moments where it sounded like she was doing an Irish accent. It was just really confusing. <laughs> yeah, like it, it's a pretty uneven performance, as is the film uneven at points. But overall, I definitely recommend this. I, I think this is a really, really solid flick. And in a uh, year that so far has not shown a lot of great films, this is probably one of the better films I've seen this year. It might even be the best, which isn't saying much because every other film I've seen this year sucked. I really like the sound of this. Yeah, it's a good one. I liked it yeah. a lot. Is, is Ethan Hawke good? I'm, I'm a big fan of Ethan Hawke. I love his stuff. Oh, yeah. He's he's really good in this. He He's great. This is probably my favorite performance by his, not ever, but in, in a few years because he hasn't, he, he's done some stuff of mixed quality lately, but this is, I really, really liked him here. I saw him in a, a, a film recently. Um, it was a kind of time travel one. Um, I don't know if you, I can't remember what it was called, but I it, forgot that, about that predestination. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. That was, I really enjoyed that. I had a really good sort of, um, retro feel to it. Um, so yeah, if you like Ethan Hawke, you should check that one out as well. Yeah. That's a really, really good movie. Yeah. That movie's great. Yeah. Now I'm interested to catch this one as well because you said it's what Deliverers from Evil should have been because I'm a big fan of that director. Mm-hmm. And that was a really big letdown, so... Oh, yeah. I'll definitely be catching this one. I also watched this week a film called Franklin, A Symphony of Pain, and I reviewed that for the website That's Not Current, which is a newly created website that's dedicated to retro games, films, comics, music, wrestling, you name it, um, in addition to some topical and current material. And it was created by Phil Hayton and uh, Karen Fisher, And fair play to the guys, Kieran especially, they've really amassed a fantastic group of writers. Um, And Kieran's actually a fellow writer over at the big comic page. And I urge any comic fans to check out uh, the website for some really great reviews, interviews, features. Um, And he's also a regular contributor on our UNH Facebook group. And he's actually left some feedback today, which we'll get to later. Um, But coming back to Franklin... I mean, what a film. It was directed by um, somebody called Jeremy Westrate, and it's definitely not for everyone. It's brutal. It's batshit crazy. It's a kaleidoscope of effects and influences, I uh, think, 90s music videos meets 70s American Grindhouse meets the pulpy cocktail of Tarantino, Zombie and Rodriguez, and you're not even close. And on top of that, it homages genre cinema from the title, which is a play on the extended title for the early German film Nosferatu, a symphony of horror, um, to scenes that reference 2001 A Space Odyssey, Psycho. It's really low budget and the acting is quite atrocious at times. 
but it is incorporated into the film quite well. And it's very easy to dismiss it during the first few scenes because of this. But the more I watched it, the more compelled I was. Um, it's brave. It's very raw cinema. Like I say, it's not for everybody. There is sodomy in it. Um, it's quite a lot of violence. Eyes being gouged out. But I really did think it was um, something fresh and new. Though I really think Mike might hate it. <laughs> <laughs> it, sounds, it doesn't sound like my kind of movie. <laughs> yeah. The sodomy part scares me a little bit. Everything else sounds kind of cool. See, that's yeah. old man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah, it's just, it's, somebody just announces um, that they're bringing in a wood bitch, and then it just goes from there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I, I like the curiosity may make me check this one out, you know? <laughs> yeah, I definitely would. Like I say, even if you don't kind of watch all of it, if it's not your cup of tea, just to see some of the, the styles that are incorporated, it, like I say, it's a mashup of absolutely everything. And I've no doubt missed uh, quite a few of the references. And the person who made it has got an amazing kind of knowledge of genre cinema. So it's just a really different film. And like I say, very refreshing. And you said it had sort of like the a style of uh, Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez? Yeah, I'd say so. Because um, I, I love those guys. Those are two of my favorite directors. And Zombie. It's kind of like an early zombie. I can hear Mike running away. Wow. Yeah, I'd say definitely give it a go and see what you think. But do be aware that it is quite brutal. Very cool. We can handle uh, brutal. We can do it. <laughs> we can. And we have done. We'll be talking about that in a bit. Matt, you have read a couple of books as well? Yeah, yeah. One, well, I finished reading one one long book, and then I, I read a short story. So, um, uh, yeah, the, the the longer book that I finished was called um, "Son of the Endless Night" by John Farris. Um, and uh, I, I I was basically I don't know how I came across it, but I was I was just trying to find some good horror, uh, some good horror stories. Basically, um, a, a little while ago, I read one called "The Wicked." Um, by oh what's his name is it james newman maybe and um it's it's it was kind of an homage to kind of 80s horror and i really really enjoyed that and so i was looking for some other stuff that was had a similar sort of vibe to it um so i believe son of the endless night was actually written in the 80s uh, in the mid 80s um and it's about a young man who becomes possessed by this ancient demon called zarak baltag or something like that um, otherwise known as Son of the Endless Night, um, and and as he's possessed by this demon, he he basically kills his uh, brutally kills his girlfriend, um, and then the the rest of the story kind of unfolds in in the lead up to and 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 during the his subsequent trial for murder, um, and it's quite interesting because it's it's you know it's about his these his lawyers um, trying to put forward this case of uh, demonic possession. Um, and it's all about whether they can prove that he he was kind of possessed at the time when he killed his girlfriend and therefore not guilty of of her murder. And, and can they prove this in a court of law? Um, and of course, you know, it, it's it um, uh, gets put into all the media. Everybody's listening to. It, everybody's watching because it's you know it's just it's something that hadn't happened before. Um, so uh, it, it felt a little bit slow to get going. I felt, but uh, but the pace cranked up towards the end. Um, especially once you got into the into the courtroom, um, I really enjoy courtroom dramas. So it was actually quite quite cool to have courtroom stuff and a bit of demonic stuff all mixed in together, which was really cool. 
Um, and it, it definitely feels very much a product of its time from the 80s. It's, it's rather over the top and silly at times, but but ultimately, I I I, I quite enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. Um, it's it's quite violent. It's quite gory. Um, uh, if if you can be gory in a description. Um, and yeah, definitely recommend that one. Um, has anyone else read that or, or read anything else by John Farris? Because he's I think he's quite a prolific um, prolific writer. No, um, I was interested to kind of catch you though after seeing your Facebook post about it. Yeah, yeah. So it's definitely if, on my list. You, <laughs> yeah, if if you like eighties horror, um, and you like courtroom dramas, and you like demonic possession stories, um, then you should definitely definitely check this out. It's it's quite good fun. Just you just need to kind of uh, keep going through the the, the first bit because it does feel it does kind of drag a little bit. The short story I read was one called Patient 151. Um, and it's a short story by, by Rick Powell, who's, um, who's uh, a friend of the podcast. He's, uh, uh, you'll see him on, you'll find him on, on the Facebook group. And, uh, you know, he's, he's, um, got some thoughts and comments on, on Martyrs a bit later as well. Um, so this is a short story by Rick and it takes the form of an interview, um, with a disturbed young woman who describes how she gruesomely murdered her boyfriend, uh, and what drove her to commit the act of murder. Um, and, and actually it was quite a good companion piece. I read it directly after Son of the Endless Night and it was quite a good companion piece due to its, its sort of demonic in, in quotes undertone. Um, and, I think what worked for me was that although the way the woman was described, what, what the woman was describing came across as being completely insane, um, you know, completely bonkers. Um, you really believed that she believed what she was saying. Um, and so I, I think that, yeah, I think Rick did really well um, in his, his depiction of, um, of how this, how this woman was, was feeling and how she was thinking. Um, it is, a word of caution it is very very um sexually and violently graphic um but if you again if you like demonic possession stuff and you, and you don't mind a bit of um bit of graphic nature in your stories then um yeah give it a go it's it's as i said it's a short story so it's probably i think it's only like 16 pages long so you'll you'll get through it in a, in about half an hour probably um but yeah check it out that sounds about the perfect length yeah <laughs> <laughs> And I've, I've bought two more of uh, Rick's stories as well now to read because I, I really enjoyed this one. So I'm, I'm going to check out a couple more. Right. On. Which ones? Oh, uh, they, in fact, they were ones that you recommended to me, Becky. Oh, um, oh gosh, I've forgotten the names now. Um, the Grove and Blood Type? Yes. Yes, those two. That's right. Yeah. I want to read The Grove. It's great. I really enjoyed it because of the found footage elements after mm. <laughs> yeah, <that's cool. laughs> doing all the research for the podcast we did it's, mm. it's a great and he's a great writer so i'm looking forward to catching more of his uh, writing when i get a bit of spare time as well yeah yeah at some point we got to get him on the show oh, yeah absolutely talk all about yeah. His books. yeah our main topic for today uh, we'll be looking at martyrs like we said but as this is the first um, episode looking at extreme cinema specifically french extreme cinema 
we thought we'd just um, look at a few early influences, first of all, in terms of extremism um, in film in France. So we've spoken about the uh, Théâtre du Grand I think it's pronounced, and I apologize in advance, a sulfidine accent. You know, trying to speak French is not nice to hear, so I do apologize to, to show you how awful and hard it is for me to, to kind of speak like this. Um, I was taught in nursery school by Sean Ryder of Happy Mondays fame, his mom. <laughs> so that, yeah, that's my accent when I really go for it. I can't um, imagine him speaking French. <laughs> there, there you go. Now you know how hard it is. Or, or I can, but yeah, uh, yeah the <laughs> accent, that's, that's going to be something else. That's basically how I sound after a few pints. <laughs> oh, well, good um, luck with uh, reading through all this then, because uh, there's a lot of French in there. <laughs> yeah, I might call on you. Um, <laughs> but like I said, we've spoken about um, the theatre before, but I think it's just worth a mention um, to show that even before cinema, this was something that was quite controversial um, within France. And the theatre was founded by Oscar Matenier in Paris in 1897 and featured a variety of plays with unsavoury topics such as prostitution and murder. The, the patrons were generally members of the working class and they would watch five or six plays across different genres, such as comedy and horror. But the horror plays were favourites amongst the audience and they featured notoriously bloody climaxes and very gory effects. And like I say, we have spoken about it before, but that was something I thought would lead into, especially early French cinema, French shots. Um, if we look at Georges Méliès, his films are more fantastical, but they do have elements of horror and he kind of takes that theatrical element and puts that straight onto his films. And Abel Gantz uh, was a contemporary of Georges Méliès. He also worked on shots that could be described as fantastical or horrific. And he made uh, The Mask of Horror in 1912, for example. But I wanted to mention him in this list because of his 1919 film, uh, J.Q.'s, which is a silent film that features a romantic storyline against the backdrop of World War I. Have you seen this? Are you familiar with this? Nope. No, no. Uh, I watched it initially in uh, university and it really blew me away. It's a pacifist film for sure. And the extreme or shocking element is revealed at the end of the film. And it's an infamous scene with acclaimed effects in which the ghosts of men killed in the war march home to their loved ones to signify the sacrifice paid. And the scene was filmed in southern France in 1918, which is obviously a year before the, the First World War ended. And it features um, allegedly 2,000 soldiers who were back home on leave for several days. And 80% of this group were reportedly killed within weeks of returning to the front lines. Wow. So. That's insane. Yeah. So they were obviously very kind of behind the cause, but to actually portray that to know that they may be killed, it's just, it's mind blowing. It's tragic. It's, it's a very, very powerful film and I'd really recommend it. I'm sure it's available in the public domain. Yeah. I would definitely like to check this one out. You know, I mean, when you think of, of, French horror and France overall, Becky, do you think that um, even going back as far as uh, the French Revolution, do you think that sort of has affected the French culture and perhaps the mindset of the French people going into films? Uh, potentially. I mean, you know, in Europe, 
you know, we have notorious kind of past for, you know, public execution and public um, autopsies. So I think there's definitely a fascination with gore and um, controversy. So I, I think you could argue that for sure. The film was actually remade in 1938 by Gans um, in opposition to the building tensions before World War II. So that's again another one for anybody interested. And just another film that I wanted to mention is um, The You Sans Visage, which is Eyes Without a Face from 1960. And has everyone seen this? Always wanted to, but never have. I, I have not, no, no. But I'm I'm familiar, well, I'm aware of it, but yeah, I haven't seen it. Yeah, I have never heard of this before. The film was directed by Georges Franjou, and it's an adaptation of Jean Redon's novel about a doctor whose daughter has been severely disfigured in a car accident, and he takes matters into his own hands, literally, by murdering young women and then grafting their skin onto his daughter's face. But none of the surgeries have been successful, and so he continues this murderous cycle. And it's, I'd say it's got to be up in the top 10 horror films of all time for me. Wow. Wow. It's fantastic. I saw it um, on the big screen. I was lucky enough to see it there. And to give you an idea of how effective it is in terms of the um, shock factor, there is a scene in which skin is grafted onto somebody's face after being taken off somebody else's face and people in the room with me couldn't watch it and that's a film from 1960 so whereas obviously i was the horror hound so i was just you know sat there happily (laughs) watching away but it had a very controversial reception especially in france actually due to the um heterograph scene and People were really not nice, and I think that um, Franju's career suffered quite a bit, quite similarly to Michael Powell, who made Peeping Tom. Okay, interesting. And, yeah, it was edited and dubbed in 1962 for US release under the title uh, The Horror Chamber of Dr. Faustus. You may have heard it um, referred to in terms of that title, but really, really great film. And the book as well is even more brutal, which has some animal cruelty in it, and it's obviously more graphic. The film itself has a great score, which I thought of particularly, uh, I thought Mike would enjoy, but it's very nightmarish and dreamlike, and aside from the surgical scene, you don't really see anything, and it's so cleverly constructed in that way. So that's one I would definitely recommend, it, and that would be a great one to cover on the podcast at some point, if you'd be interested. Yeah, Becky, yeah we've got to do this. Becky, is there is there any any sort of connection or link between um, the skin I live in and um, Eyes Without a Face? You know the the film from um, twenty eleven by Al Moldovar. Yeah, Antonio Banderas. Yes, that's the one. Yeah, or I mean, do, yeah. do you think that it's kind of loosely influenced by Eyes Without I a would, Face, or is it or is it any is there I any particular s- connection? I think it's definitely been influenced. I haven't actually seen that one myself. Have you seen it? Oh yes, yeah, and it's it's very very good. Um, now, I'm looking forward to catch that because I like the pairing between um, Amaldivar and um, Banderas because they work together in Time Me Up, Time Me Down. And that's a yeah. really great film. Um, but aside from what I've kind of read up about it, I would definitely say it's influenced yeah. um, in a similar way. That is it Goodnight Mummy? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Um, but other than that, I wouldn't know, I'm afraid. 
I need to watch it, obviously. Yeah, actually, those those three movies would make a good trilogy to watch together, actually. Um, the way they revolve around uh, plastic surgery. Yeah. 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 Plastic surgery and horror. There yep. you go. We got another show. <laughs> <laughs> so coming to uh, Martyrs, this is an example of new French extremism. Now, extremism is obviously a very subjective term. And the Oxford Dictionary of Film Studies defines extreme cinema as a group of films that challenge codes of censorship and social mores, especially through explicit depiction of sex and violence, including rape and torture. Extreme cinema is most often associated with horror film, pornography, exploitation film and cult film. The alternate term, ordeal cinema, indicates that the viewer commits to watching a film that will take them through a horrendous experience in what seems like real time. So even though, like I say, it is quite subjective, we can kind of group films together, obviously, that are collectively termed uh, extreme due to their graphic portrayals of sex and violence. And there have been many critical terms used to describe cinema um, that is extreme, such as torture porn, um, cinema of sensation, extreme realism, cinematic disgust. And in 1999... Despite similar films emerging from numerous European nationalities, the volume of extreme films coming out of France and the country's association with cinephilia and transgressive art drew attention to this country especially. And this was a new form of provocative cinema, new French extremism, combining an art aesthetic form or style with graphic and explicit visuals. And in doing so, it tested the boundaries of censorship through real sex and extreme violence, uniting the intellectual and the visceral, as has been critically claimed. And the critical response to the film especially triggered um, James Quant to um, write his seminal 2004 article, Flesh and Blood, Sex and Violence in Recent French Cinema. And that's where the infamous term New French Extremity was coined. And in the article, he offers the following definition. The critic truffle shuffling for trends might call it the new French extremity, this recent tendency to, to the willfully transgressive by directors like Francois Ozon, Gaspar Noé, Catherine Brulé, Philippe Grandru, and now, alas, Dumont. Bava, as much as Batil, Say Low No Less Than Sade, seem the determinants of a cinema suddenly determined to break every taboo, to wade in rivers of viscera and spumes of sperm, to fill <laughs> each frame with flesh, nubile or gnarled, and subject it to all matter of penetration, mutilation and defilement. That guy has, has a, a tongue words, twister. doesn't he? That's a tongue twister, <laughs> that is. There you go. Indeed. Um, and it has been noted academically that there are two waves of new French extremity, the first one in the late 1990s and the second one between 2000 and 2002. So what do you reckon to that definition by Quant, which was obviously very dismissive? Um, you know, I, I think everyone has their own limits, you know. So I think to, to just totally dismiss it as he's sort of doing is uh, eh, not, not really proper in my opinion. Yeah, it's, it's quite strange because of the kind of nature of the films, as we'll, I'm sure we'll discuss, the collaboration between art and kind of exploitation cinema or, 
horror cinema, lower forms of art usually that they're considered to be? I feel like a lot of it depends on what the film is about, what it's trying to depict. Um, Because oftentimes in film, you're wanting the audience to feel a certain way and you're wanting it to have a certain impact. And, you know, we'll get into this more with Martyrs, but uh, I don't think you can just totally dismiss all, you know, a certain genre um, as being uh, extreme cinema or, you know, French extreme cinema in this case. No, no, completely. And do you kind of have a history with um, New French Extremity? Particularly, have you seen many of these films? For me, not personally. I have seen probably more, uh, I guess, what would be considered Japanese extreme cinema. Uh, So I'm definitely interested to check out more uh, French cinema like we're doing today with Martyrs. So Martyrs is really uh, sort of a first for me. How about you guys? Martyrs was a first for me as far as like French uh, extreme films go but i mean i i've seen films uh in america that i guess you consider torture porn even though that's i i hate that term because i yeah me i think too, it's yeah. just kind of a dismissive term kind of like how this guy is talking about these extreme films in a dismissive way um i i because it, it suggests it's like oh it's it's nothing just a bad plot and bad characters surrounded by just torture but like because i know people refer to hostile as just torture porn but i think those are actually very well-made films i i think people there are people who would say martyrs is torture porn but i mean i think it's so much more than that so i re- i don't like that term and i'm i'm more i've seen more of the kind of american version of extreme films in fact pascal uh Laugier, the director said that although he's a fan of um those kind of films hostile and and saw um and he was obviously influenced by them um he himself didn't want martyrs to be to be like that that wasn't his intention he 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 was aiming for something more than that um so yeah yeah i i would not compare it to saw and you know i haven't seen hostile but i i know of it of course and it definitely has a very different vibe to it than saw uh but i you definitely. know saw is another film where I've I've heard people call that torture porn as well, and I'm like, no, you know, this the first one, let me say, has a very compelling story, and uh, it's very interesting. The acting is perhaps not the best in that film, but um, mm. but yeah, I feel like uh, you know, if your film has a good story to tell, that's that's what matters, and people shouldn't just be so dismissive of these films. Yeah, I've I've yeah. seen quite a few of the. Um what what we would what we would consider in this this group of films um so there's all the usual ones um frontier um inside à l'intérieur haute tension high tension il them uh, brotherhood of the wolf um there's a few kind of lesser known gems that i that i've seen as well films like trouble every day shaitan maléfique and calvaire or the calvaire i think is strictly speaking belgian. a belgian film yeah yeah um, and then you could even possibly, this is maybe a bit, bit, bit too tenuous. You could even possibly include, um, possession from 1981, um, by Andrzej Zalowski, which stars Sam Neill and Isabel Adjani. Cause it was, it was partly filmed in France and West Germany. Um, I don't know if any of you've seen that film, but that's a very extreme, bizarre film. Um, I've, I've heard of it grouped with a uh, new French extremity before, but I haven't personally seen it. I mean, it, it is an older one because it's from the 80s. Um, and, and 
interestingly, it was actually banned in the UK until 1999. So it's, it's, um, yeah, it's got some really kind of strong horror in it. So definitely worth a watch. So yeah, I've, I've seen quite a few of these. You're well versed. Well versed, sir. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm a particular fan. I actually was, my research topic for my PhD was New French Extremity. Um, and I studied that for two years before I had to unfortunately leave for financial reasons. So I'd like to get back to that eventually for sure. But I've seen all the ones that you've mentioned, um, Matt, and I, I absolutely love them. And I think they are very different. I'm sure you'll agree, Matt, from kind of American um, or Japanese even extreme cinema. They're very much yeah. of their own kind of form style. Yes, very so, different, yeah. I'd love to kind of explore this area a bit more on the podcast if um, everyone else would like to after Martyrs and think it's a really yeah, interesting definitely. kind of area and the way that it develops. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Most of them, are, it's been quite a while since I've seen most of them, but yeah. So coming back to then our main topic for today, uh, Martyrs, which is a French-Canadian film and directed by Pascal Laugier, as Matt has said. And he also directed The Tall Man from 2012 and House of Voices or Saint Ange, I think it's called, from 2004. Have you seen any of those? I've seen The the Tall Man, but that was about... I mean, yeah, that came out in like early 2007, so it's been about four years since I've seen that. And I was surprised to see that he had made that film. I remember not liking the ending, but I remember liking the, the film as a whole. Are these also horror films? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I've, I've seen them both as well. Um, and uh, yeah, similar reaction to, to Mike, to The Tall Man. I, I really enjoyed the build-up, and then the, the, the ending was a bit of a letdown. Um, House of Voices is an interesting one, because it was his first film. So Martyrs was his second film, and House of Voices was his first film. And um, you can definitely see there's influences... Um, there's things that happen in House of Voices that, that you, you can see the influence coming through into Martyrs. Some of the, particularly the kind of the styling, um, the aesthetic. There's, um, there's a scene in House of Voices where uh, the main character goes down into a basement and it's all very clinical and there's people wrapped up in bandages and, 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 and we see very similar stuff in Martyrs. So, um, I think House of Voices is, is definitely worth a watch. Um, it's not, yeah. not, not great, but, um, I, I quite enjoyed it. And Matt, I think you've been watching a documentary on the director um, Laugier, haven't you? Yeah, um, I've actually got the I've got the Blu-ray of um, of Martyrs, and it's got a, an interview with him um, on there. Um, so I watched that, and um, it's actually quite interesting. Um, there was a few things that came out of it which I thought were quite interesting. So I thought I'd summarise some of those points that he made. He actually talked a bit initially about um, the House of Voices and how he approached that, and he said that it was very strictly storyboarded and scripted. In contrast to that, with Martyrs, he decided to take a risk and, and, with a, and have a sort of much more open process. And he talked about how some, some other sort of well-known directors approach, um, approach their filming. And uh, he used the phrase, the resonance of reality on set and how a director lets that reality in and makes it the subject matter of his film. Um, and, and, and he wanted to bring in some of that reality. Um, uh, so he, he did very little planning. So at times he, he didn't warn the cameraman what was happening. 
Um, and he didn't give uh, lots of direction to the actresses initially. Um, he just kind of let things play out um, and then he would intervene live while the camera was rolling. But this actually led to there being quite a lot of work in post afterwards to get rid of his voice. Um, but obviously we, we don't notice that because they did it really well. This more open process led to him having to simplify the film quite a lot from his original plans and cut out quite a lot of things. Um, due, basically due to the, the, the time that it was taking um, uh, to, to film it in this way. But he did mention initially that the film wasn't really very well thought out. It was He was actually um, just approached and he was given the opportunity to, to, to make a, a genre film. Um, I believe it was one of the producers from Canal Plus approached him and they said, we, we want more genre films, have you got a script? Um, so he just kind of went with it and, and pulled it all together really quickly. I found it quite interesting. He said that... Um, if he'd thought about it, if he'd begin, been given the time to think about it, he, he would never have made it. He would have worried too much about, A, what it would do to his career and B, how people would react to it. Um, so from that point of view, I think we're, we're lucky that it, it, it happened the way it did because, he, yeah, like he said, he, he may not have made it. Um, and he talks also a little bit about the, the effects and the makeup and, and how he tried to do as much of that in camera as possible because he, he just wanted it to seem as real as possible. And also he wanted the, the actors in the film to, um, to experience it as, as real, this whole, this whole, um, thing that he was trying to bring this kind of reality through, um, for the, for the actors and actresses in the, in the film as well. Um, and he, and he spent a lot of time trying to get the, the character design right. So by the, by the characters, I mean the, um, uh, I think he's called the creature, um, the kind of demonic creature kind of, uh, character. And then also the, uh, I think she's called, um, La Supplice or something. So the, the tortured woman basically who, that we meet later on in the film. And they found it really hard to get this right because it was, it was all coming across as too witch-like and too ghoulish. And he wanted, again, he wanted something grounded in, in reality as much as possible. Um, so I think he, he was quite happy with the, with the character designs and the effects and the makeup that they, they finally kind of settled on for the creatures. Um, and he, he likened them to, um, like a, a Raphael painting or a Francis Bacon painting, uh, with this kind of suffering, sick body, all gangrenous and gangrenous and tortured, but, but kind of grounded in reality. Um, so yeah, it was a really interesting interview. Um, if, if you want to kind of, get a bit more out of what what his thoughts were behind the film and i definitely recommend it i don't know if it's available anywhere else um other than a, the dvd extras um but it's only about 30 minutes long so um it's quite a quick watch so yeah definitely give that a go if you're interested in finding out a bit more sort of behind the scenes stuff Ah! 
So Martyrs was actually rejected by all of the French studios and a lot of actresses before Canal Plus took it on. And I know that Canal Plus have kind of have a reputation for taking on controversial or unusual projects. And it premiered at the 2008 Cannes Film Festival and was described as the most divisive film screen that year by one critic, as I'm sure we'll talk about. And it actually was given an 18 plus rating from the French Commission of Classification. And this rating actually limits, obviously, box office revenue and airtime on free to view television channels. But also, I think in France, particularly, uh, the classification of 18 plus as opposed to the 16 plus limits films to specific exhibition spaces that require a license to show them. Um, and they will obviously, yeah, I mean, they'll suffer financially due to the lack of licensed outlets. And a lot of pornographic films, I believe, are shown in this way. Um, and I think it's kind of used alongside an X rating because I think the French right. Ministry of Culture abolished the 18 plus um, certificate at some point, and it's kind of the same as an X rating, I believe. Um, but as well, as well as the you know the hindrance upon box office revenue, it won't receive the film any state funding or financial aid from related bodies. Instead, actually generating a substantial tax bill, and. Oh. Yeah, and as a last resort, the French Society of Film Directors asked the French Ministry of Culture to examine this decision. And the Minister of Culture, Christine Albanel, eventually asked the Commission of Classification to change its rating. And in July 2008, Martyrs was finally rated 16+. plus. Ah. Am I right in thinking that French DVDs and Blu-rays don't have a, a rating? Or am I completely? I'm not sure. I, I have not. a feeling. Sure. I might be completely wrong, but I have a feeling that they that they don't, and it may just be cinemas. But anyway, that, that may be completely yeah. off the wall. That I mean, it it sounds very similar uh, to the X rating here in the states. Studios don't want a, an NC seventeen, and they you know uh, X is pretty much for pornographic films here. You, you certainly don't want that in the states because. You're going to be in a very limited number of theaters, so it's right. it's a very similar deal from the sounds of it. Have you guys ever seen an X-rated or NC-17 rated film in the theaters? I have not. I've only seen it once. It was when um I was down at this university I used to go to called SIU, and we had two theaters there. One was they were both AMC's right across the street from each other. One had uh, a lot of the bigger films, and another one had it was. It wasn't quite an art house theater, but it had a lot of smaller releases uh, aside from the bigger releases. Um, and down there they had Blue is the Warmest Color when that came out. And so that's mm-hmm. the only time I've ever seen one in the theater. Okay. I, be- I believe yeah, in the um, UK it's an 18 rating. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and I, I, would, like, I would be very surprised. Well, yeah, I can't, I can't imagine it being anything less than an 18 in the UK, really. Um, so I'm surprised that in France it's a 16 plus, but they, they are slightly more, uh, more liberal than us, I think, in some of these things. This film, Martyrs, um, was actually called by a critic, uh, not to art, but sadistic pornography. And very ironically, I thought, this person said, and I quote, pornography doesn't just have to be female skin flicks. I would just 
just completely disagree with that. <laughs> well, I just thought it was very ironic uh, that they mentioned skin flicks when we're talking about this film. Yeah, really, given the uh, the end, we'll, we'll get to. But, but, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. To me, it's pornography is pornography, and you know, um, extreme cinema is extreme cinema in a way. I think it's because um, France is so thought of as combining the two in terms of um, you know sex um, erotica and violence and that's something as you make your way through uh, more of new french extremity i think you'll see much more of an art film aesthetic with films like in my skin and trouble every day um but france is also in terms of eurocentrism i think that is a stereotypical aspect to it as well because i found extremely if we're talking about classification interesting that the bbfc past irreversible uncut yet they had lots of problems with the remake of the last house on, on the left and both have very graphic rape scenes but for me the last house on the left yes it's disturbing and like i said before you know it's a subjective experience when you're watching these films but irreversible was so much it was so much more unsettling and graphic and harder to stomach and i think a lot of people would agree but because yeah. of the oh it, it's french you know cinephilia it's you know like i say eurocentrism it was passed because of that stereotypical erotica high art and violence all mixed together thing it's definitely interesting how things like that come together and i mean it's you know we have similar problems in america as i've talked about like you know certain films will be rated pg-13 that should obviously be rated r uh it, it's and it just it depends on the type of film it is or, or where it comes from in this case you know definitely um but to get into the plot martyrs begins with a young girl lucy and she escapes from a disused abattoir where she has been imprisoned and physically abused for a long period of time. The perpetrators and their motivations remain a mystery, and Lucy is then placed in an orphanage where she's befriended by a young girl named Anna. And Anna soon discovers that Lucy believes that she is constantly being terrorised by a ghoulish creature, a horrible, disfigured, emaciated woman. What did you all think of the beginning of the film? I find it very upsetting the beginning. Um, I think it's probably probably because um, probably more so now than when I first watched it actually, because I'm a dad now. So seeing the seeing the the girl escape and you know just the the horrific ordeal that she's been through, and well, you know very little at that point, but clearly she's been through a horrific ordeal, and um, to see her running running away from the the building and and just screaming at the top of her lungs i I just i find it very very upsetting to watch that uh in particular but it's very powerful and i think it sets the film up well um and it it really helps you to kind of understand um a bit where she's coming from you know where where all these feelings are coming from with her i would certainly agree and um as far as the disfigured woman i mean i at first i was like is that a ghost or is that a uh, psychological image she's projecting? Um, I didn't know exactly yeah. what to make of that at is first. It a but I found what it, is it? Yeah, exactly. So I found that very interesting, and um, I was 
definitely sucked into the plot. Well, as far as this opening goes with the uh, where you see that weird like demonic kind of projection thing that um, I believe it's Anna sees, right? She's the the one who escapes. Uh, Lucy. Yeah. Lucy. Lucy. Oh, sorry. Oh, OK. <laughs> and uh, I know I'm going to discuss this later, but I, I found it interesting. Having seen the remake first, just how how different they deal with with those um those two aspects the aspect of the projection and i thought it was really creepy here just the way that uh it kind of moves around it was just really disturbing every time it was on screen so i thought it was and this opening definitely really parallels the opening of the remake and i just thought so i'd already seen it but it it was just so effective here i that really shows how great of a filmmaker uh lugier Right, that's his name. They, he, how how great of a filmmaker he is. I mean, just f- right from the beginning, he he got my attention. I do think though that the French Canadian version was a lot stronger, just in its presentation. Would you agree or disagree? No, I agree strongly with that. Very very strongly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I thought. Yeah. So. <laughs> like uh, Matt said, it's a very powerful opening, and I know that several different bodies in France especially campaigned against the release of the film due to the violence against children in particular. So oh, that, right. yeah, so that is quite a, an opening, I would say. And it's quite interesting as well to hear your thoughts on the kind of creature and how you thought that might be like a demonic um, entity, a, a ghost, because I straight away went to psychological. So it's really interesting to hear <laughs> that. Well, I think um, at that point you just don't know, do you? So you're, no, you're, ask, but, you're asking these questions. What, what is this? I, I that, thought it was demonic when I first saw it the very first time. Um, but yeah, it's interesting how different people attach onto different things. Um, yeah. So yeah. Definitely. Um, so 15 years later, Lucy bursts into the home of an apparently normal family, the Belfons, um, which is a woman, her husband, and their two children. And before she does, we basically introduced to this family and it's kind of like an ikea commercial it's like everything's white and clean and it's oh, a yeah. family the family sitting there it's very kind of it seems very artificial it's a very interesting scene it's and, very un- un-french actually um, yes and I, I think that's because it was filmed in in canada wasn't it, it was filmed was it filmed in in toronto or something Ontario, um, I believe. yeah and it's so the the architecture and all of everything is it's just very very unfrench. It sets up in one tiny portion of this scene a lot of what uh, Laugier is kind of going for in this farm, in which the siblings are chasing each other. We don't know who they are at this point, but we see a girl running, screaming, and then somebody jumps on her, and she seems to be in distress. That was very clever. That it was very clever, yeah. and then we find out that they're just playing and, you know, just sibling kind of rivalry. But I think that very much sets up the premise of not everything that you see is what you think it is. And that relates into the psychological aspects, um, which we'll definitely talk about later. But I found that scene to be very um, cleverly done and kind of foreshadowing of later events. And then in this kind of, like I say, this very bland white um, model home, Lucy suddenly appears and kills them all in a really quite shocking graphic 
series of of murders. What did you think about those scenes? Powerful, for sure. Very oh, effective. Yeah. yeah. Brutal. Yeah. Absolutely brutal. Because again, you you don't know you don't know what's going on. You don't know why she's killed these people. Um, or, or well, I think you have you obviously have an idea of why, but but there's no indication at that point that that, that they are the people she thinks they are. Um, so yeah, it's it's very very powerful, very very brutal scene. Yeah, I think particularly with the children. Yeah, I think very quickly you begin to question. All right, are these the the right people, or has she just gone off the deep end? You know. Um, is she robbing these people? What's going on? And uh, it's sort of similar to in the beginning. You know, you keep asking these questions as the movie goes on. Well, and also, um, you know, why why does she kill the children? Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure. Do, do we ever... She she asks the, the boy, um, did you know what your parents did to me? Um, and I, I'm not quite sure what his, I can't remember what his response was, but I'm not sure whether the children actually knew what was happening or not. Um, and you can see that she kind of battles with it in her mind. She turns away from him. Um, and then she turns back and just blasts him with the shotgun. So at that point, you're very much not really on, you're not on her side at that point. Um, or at least your, your emotions are torn because you know that she's been through this horrific stuff. And then, but on the other hand, you see her blasting these people away with a shotgun blasting children away um yeah so i i, I don't yeah. know why she she killed the children why she didn't let them go but um yeah very different from your typical revenge film where you would have been like yeah go in there and blow them yeah. away you know yeah i mean the only thing i took from it was that she didn't she couldn't have any witnesses that's what i thought true. too that's very true yeah but she was obviously kind of like you say playing with um, that decision and she then phones Anna who's waiting in a seemingly remote location and although Anna knows that Lucy believes that the woman Gabrielle and her husband are the people responsible for her childhood abuse she thought that Lucy intended to keep them under surveillance and is obviously horrified when Lucy calls her to tell her that she's killed them and Anna then arrives at the scene and she's obviously absolutely appalled and she worries that Lucy may have killed the wrong people as we do as well. And Anna discovers that Gabrielle, the mother, is still alive as she's basically pulling the bodies out of the house and dropping them into a pit in the back garden where I think they were having something, the pipes or something were um, being looked at so it's all dug out in the back garden. And she tries to help Gabrielle escape, but Lucy discovers the two and then bludgeons Gabrielle to death. And again, the, you know, the, the violence is very graphic and just kind of comes out of nowhere sometimes. Oh my God, that was, that bit was, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was rough. Yeah, I mean, even at that point, I'm I'm thinking, all right, maybe she did get the wrong people here. Like, you know, it looks like sort of your you know, your normal French Canadian family, just from the look of everything. And, uh, and of course, even her friend now is questioning like, all right, is, is what's going on here? You know, I think she got the wrong person and just watching her, uh, beat this woman to death. Absolutely brutal. Completely. And I think Lucy's very much the embodiment of the audience at this point. She's the one that's questioned. She's the one that allows us to think, Oh, you know what is happening here it could kind of be going either way but i think we're more on her side at that point 
um, especially when Lucy is again attacked by the scarred woman creature whatever you want to call her but from Anna's perspective we then see that it's actually Lucy hurting herself and that's really horrific it's with yeah. the blade as she's cutting yeah. her arms oh, oh my God. and really hard to watch that at that point watch. that you you really realize how tortured she is um and pretty much beyond beyond help really at that point and even more so because we've kind of had a couple of flashbacks to when she was imprisoned and how she was treated. But yeah. we have an extended one here and we find out that this creature woman is a psychological manifestation of Lucy's guilt for leaving behind another girl who was also imprisoned um, and tortured with her as a child, which is is so, you know, you're so sympathetic to her. The fact that she yeah. had to leave otherwise she wouldn't have managed to get away right if you ask me i think i would say that that's probably my personal favorite part of the film because um as i um as i said before i i had seen the remake before and in that film this whole aspect with the with the projection of this weird ghostly thing completely handled differently and very very poorly it, it what i loved about this movie is that yeah, i was surprised by how they took it and really made it a really really deep kind of story uh, her leaving the girl behind it made it it gave her character so much depth and real dimension and i absolutely loved that yeah. in fact that the um the the woman playing the creature is is the same actress who was the woman chained up right. earlier on um the the, the woman really yes yeah, yeah, same actress wow so they, it all it all kind of links up when you when you see it if when you see it in a second time or third time you'll 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 see that it's the same person so it really is the manifestation of her you know her guilt for leaving this woman behind and so this woman is now in her mind um attacking her for for leaving her behind and spoiler alert though we've given a little bit away i suppose um <laughs> <laughs> lucy actually speaks to the apparition um, and tells her that, you know, she killed its tormentors and that it can rest. And we think that this is kind of her coming to terms with everything, but this has no effect. And Lucy realizes that her, um, insanity, if you want to call it that, her, her trauma will never leave her. And in a very Hitchcockian, uh, turn, she slices her own throat and dies in Anna's arms. And, what did you think about that? Because that was quite shocking to me the first time I watched it. It was shocking to me too because it, that does not happen in the remake. That is, she makes it until the end of the movie in the remake. So I, when that happened, that really threw me off. Wow, really? Oh, yeah. yeah. That's interesting. That is. Yeah, I was shocked too. I think shocking is probably the really the best way to describe it. Um, I didn't see it coming. I figured, you know, somehow her friend was gonna help her to survive but uh unfortunately that was not the case and the film really uh threw me off there it really comes out of left field doesn't it and um yeah at that point you're just thinking oh you know you've been investing so much time in in lucy as a character up to that point and 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 she's the main character and then all of a sudden she's gone and you're halfway through the film and you're thinking where's this going to go from here what 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 on earth is going on I remember looking down just to see how much time was left in the film because I was thinking at that point, man, this is going to be a pretty short film, I guess. <laughs> and then, you know, it's only the halfway point. Very tra A very tragic end to her mm. life. You know, you, you just you feel horrible for this girl who has just been through hell and just, uh, you know, there was 
there was just no way to repair the damage that had been done, unfortunately. Yeah. That, you know, it, it's definitely, it had a huge effect on me, put it that way. Just is a testament yeah. to, 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 to how good a film it is. It, whether, whether, I don't mean like, it's not an enjoyable thing to watch, but you're not, you're not bored right. by it. You're not, you're not thinking, oh God, when's this going to end? Or yeah, I wish, I wish so they'd true. just shut up and do something else, which is kind of how I was feeling whilst watching the, um, the, the remake. Um, well, we can talk about that a little bit more later, but there was just so much more talking in the remake and it was, and I just felt like saying like, I'm not stupid, you know, and I know what's going on. You don't have to spell it all out for me. Whereas this, this yeah, film is, know. there's not that much said. It's not that, it's not very wordy film. It's all played out Especially through the emotions and the actions. Yeah. So the next day, Anna is still at the family's house and she telephones her mother from whom she's been estranged for two years I think in part due to her mother's low opinion of Lucy, but their conversation implies Anna's kind of abuse from her parents as a child because obviously they met in a in a children's home. And so we get a bit of kind of contextual information, um, you know, for Anna's character as well, which was for me very much appreciated. And Anna... While she's in the house, notices a hidden passage and discovers a secret underground chamber. And just kind of throwing this out to Mike, you mentioned on um, the, I think last week's podcast, that, you know, why would they stay in that house? And I really have to agree. I didn't really think about it before until you mentioned <laughs> it. And maybe it's more pronounced in the remake, but I, I would still definitely agree. Why would you stay? That's actually a really interesting point because I, I was noticing that in this and I got to say, because in the remake, uh, they pretty much uh, bury all the bodies and everything's done and they just kind of like one goes upstairs, the other one just crashes on the couch and they just kind of hang out. And it, I was like, what what is going on here? <laughs> in this one, it was more so because Lucy's so unstable, uh, Anna sends her up into the room just to keep her away from all the craziness and it's basically all about her trying to fix these problems every time she's in the middle of doing something something else comes up so it's constantly moving from one thing to another up until she discovers the um the hidden like passageway so it it, for me it made more sense here and by the way I, i gotta say the hidden passageway in this movie is the least hidden pass you open up one cabinet I mean, <laughs> nobody accidentally found that. All you have to do is, hey, Granny, can you go get the fine china? Granny only has to open one wrong <laughs> cabinet to wind up in the torture dungeon. <laughs> That's a totally different film. Yeah. <laughs> like, Which it actually was... leads you to think, well, the kids must have known about it. That's because, you know, how would they not notice this uh, trap door? Yeah. Yeah. Don't go in like Mummy and Daddy's like, cupboard yeah. with their Never go sex down toys. There. Never go down. Yeah. This... Okay, mom. Okay, dad. <laughs> we won't. You know what kids are like. Of course. Exactly. Oh yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Bit well, of a plot hole, maybe. But checked out the the torture chamber at some point. <laughs> <laughs> but what's going on here? Oh, it's 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 an adult thing. Don't worry about it. Honey. <laughs> okay. I think though, when we come to the end of the film and the religious connotations, if you take into account religion and families and i'm sure other people will be more knowledgeable about this than me but that they have been maybe brought up with that ideology that is very true actually yeah 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 it's certainly possible yeah 
so I, I, that's how I kind of filled in that plot hole. But anyway, and when she did does discover this, like you know, not very secret chamber, I was still quite as she kind of opens it and it's kind of going down. I was thinking because we've had so many twists and turns. I was thinking, what the hell is down here? Did did you feel that? Yes, absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah. I a bit really kind of you know a lot of trepidation and as she goes down she um finds imprisoned within a horribly tortured woman covered in scars with a strange metal kind of contraption attached to her head and lower body and this is the woman that lucy left behind when she was a child and again coming back to that kind of hitchcockian twist or elements I found this narrative twist to be quite surprising that that woman as a figment of um, Lucy's traumatized mind is a real person and she's been down there or, you know, been imprisoned for all that time. Um, and it completely changed, obviously, my view at that point of the family and that dynamic. It's very much setting up scenarios and then just pulling them completely from underneath you. Yeah, and yeah. I think that plays with the notion of what's real and what's actually in your head. And that ties into the end of the film for me. But just the fact that this woman is real, it makes Lucy's situation and the whole thing so much more, not only terrifying, but I was very kind I felt very sympathetic to, towards that yeah. dynamic. And I mean, if we look at recent cases in the news of, people that have been imprisoned for years and i think this is a really scary statistic about how many people right at this moment will be imprisoned in houses and places right. you know in across the world that's a terrifying concept yeah 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 i was gonna say earlier you had people protesting um about you know a child being treated this way in a film and i feel like the impact of having a child portrayed in a, a in a film this way is more important because it really it shows you how messed up that is you know and maybe it will make people think like all right we need to do something to fight this around the world because this stuff really happens you know yeah. Yeah. so i mean and i think that's why we got so quiet there you know it's uh, you see this woman that's been in in prison for like 15 years. And I, I mean, I think my comment was just like, Jesus Christ, you know, it's a, uh, yeah, you it's, almost don't, you don't know how to react to it. You're just like, it's yeah. just, just inhuman and yeah. Speechless. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, any good you, you feel like, uh, is in humanity. It's just, it sort of drains out of you yeah. watching this film as it goes along. It's, it is a really rough watch. But again, we'll it's, it's a testament that. to the, the the quality of the, the story and the filmmaking that you still, even now, find it believable um, when yeah. you get to this point. it's um, Oh, yeah. yeah. The next few scenes in which Anna then helps this woman, cleans up her wounds, puts her in the bath, I just, they're so kind of raw and powerful. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. it's just in her human nature to help this woman. And when she gets the contraption off her head and she takes the knife and starts slicing into her wrist, just sawing away. And then that particular scene is probably the most graphic for me in terms of affecting me. And then when she runs to the wall and just starts rubbing her head 
yeah. on it. She's obviously by that point completely insane. And I just found it, like you're saying, so very raw and very powerful. And again, we're taken just from left field, a group of strangers suddenly burst in and shoot the woman dead. And again, I was like, what, what, what is going on? Yeah, me too. <laughs> and um, Anna is captured. And very interestingly, and again, this plays into later scenes and later dialogue, but Anna, the woman that shoots um, the scarred woman, she's a woman, that's what I'm getting to, and she's the one that initially interrogates Anna. And then Anna is introduced to the leader of this group, an elderly woman referred to only as, as Mademoiselle. And the film itself, all of the main characters are women, and I think that plays into the film's messages later on. But in terms of that, what did you think of... Um, Mademoiselle, because she delivers one of the most amazing kind of monologues to Anna at this point. I thought she was awesome. I thought she was just a really, uh, really creepy. And as you say, as, as it says here in the notes, chilling. I thought that was really the word that came up. Yeah. Although I have to admit, um, again, going back to the remake, uh, in the remake, one of the things I didn't really buy into was when they did the whole speech about what martyrs are and everything they got and start to reveal that. And I thought I would, cause I was loving the movie so much up until this point. So I thought I was going to be more with that, but I got to say, this is kind of where the movie took a bit of a lesser turn for me. I thought as much as I really love her performance, I, I still didn't buy the whole big reveal. I guess you could say I didn't really buy into that. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. No, it was the same for me as well, Mike. Um, I I totally get where you're coming from on that. And as I, I will say that, yeah, she was great in her role. Um, but at this point, I was thinking, like, okay, is it like a cult? Uh, what's going on? And then, you know, um, I don't know. It just uh, the film starts to kind of go downhill for me at this point. Yeah, actually, I, I would agree. Although, although it's probably fairly obvious that I, I I rate this film quite highly, this this is the point where the film starts to uh, become harder to believe. Um, up and up until this point, even though so much crazy stuff has happened, you're you're right there with the characters. It just starts to go a little bit beyond what what I personally could kind of buy into as. Although I'm not saying that these kind of people don't exist out there because they do, but it's right, harder yeah. for me to imagine it. It's harder for me to 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 picture that to picture these kind of things. Um, yeah, but I thought Mademoiselle. I thought she was. Um, I thought she was really good. And I, I yeah, chilling, cold. Just the the the, the matter of factness that she she kind of talks to to Anna and explains all of this. Um, she's just kind of yeah, really detached from what's actually what she's actually putting these people through um and just yeah horrible horrible and chilling kind of person and and a horrible and chilling kind of group of people um that they could they can do this to to other people yeah i've never kind yeah. of thought of false eyelashes of being sinister before but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> her turban was pretty cool i liked her turban <laughs> yeah. or whatever you call it i don't know does it have a special name that hat looked like a turban i'm sure mark um yeah, I'm sure Matt would know. Yeah, he would. He probably want one. He's all about but that. But she, yeah. she reminded me of a fortune teller. Um, do you know what I mean? That kind of, this kind of, yeah, sort of like a fortune teller yeah, with the yeah. with the kind of jewelry and the and the 
the funny hat and yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you know, it's kind of scary because all these people that are involved in this sort of cult, as I would call them, I mean, they're they're people, they're everyday people you would see out on the street exactly. pretty much. Yeah. And I mean, it kind of goes to show, like, yeah, these sort of people could be your next door neighbors. You just you don't know. Oh, and, the, and the fact that the the family who were living in the house originally was were to all intents and purposes a, a perfectly normal family on from the outside. It makes it makes oh, yeah. you wonder, you know, what who is who is Mademoiselle? You know, maybe she goes home and I don't know. She's 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 got a husband and she's got grandchildren and you know maybe she goes shopping on 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 saturdays and has cups of coffee in the in the coffee shop and do you know what i mean it's like who is this yeah, woman and that's she true. seems to, she they i mean all of these people to be able to do what they do um and then detach themselves from it um, i mean they must have to live normal lives um outside of this this cult or or um group or whatever they are um and it just yeah it just kind of makes you really question how how can someone do that how can someone be like that just detach themselves from it so completely and utterly it's it's you know it's it's fanaticism i suppose isn't it yeah yeah definitely. scary stuff that's how i kind of took it a comment or a commentary on um fanaticism and she i took it that she was a very um powerful woman in whatever field politics whatever yeah the way she's treated within that group but just how she looks quite eccentric but not exactly like i didn't take it to be a grandmother going home and like making cookies (laughs) for the grandkids or whatever (laughs) but a really high-ranking official in in some area that was the kind of vibe i got from her and also that she was very wealthy and probably fronting this operation but in terms of fanaticism and religion you know people who believe something so strongly believe that people need to suffer for that cause so the film's kind of i think touching on all of those elements and that's very even though the film's made in 2008 i think it very much is resonant now with all the things that are going on in the world in terms of you know fanaticism and, and religion and ideology and some of the things she says i'm probably different to all of you i think in my opinion here because i thought this scene was really powerful and chilling and unsettling and all of the things that she was kind of saying about you know martyrs are exceptional people they survive pain they survive total deprivation and they bear the sins of the earth and they give themselves up they transcend themselves they are transfigured and she makes the point that through all of the test subjects and you know we don't know how long this cult whatever we want to call it has been you know has been in existence they have tried to make martyrs out of children um as we saw with with lucy but she makes a comment that women are the best subjects to be basically made into martyrs and see beyond into the next world and that's their pursuit they they lay that out here and i think that's another reason why people take this point to be um, where the film actually takes a downwards turn because the first half or two thirds, whatever you want to, I'm not sure exactly how long it is, but that is so much guessing and, you know, strange twist turns. You don't know what's kind of happening, but you're kind of told everything in one small scene here. Mm. And it, it's at that agree? point that you realize what's coming up. Yeah. So it's more about apprehension, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we kind of, the dawning realization on Anna's face, you know, we're, we're very much there with her. And then 
to move on. While her underlings bury the Belfons, uh, Lucy and the, uh, the the other woman, the other victim, um, Mademoiselle explains basically, like we said, that she belongs to a secret a philosophical society who are trying to discover the secrets of the afterlife through the creation of martyrs. And obviously we already know that she was responsible for Lucy's childhood kidnapping and their experiments inflict systematic acts of torture upon young women in the belief that their suffering will result in a transcendental insight into the world beyond this one. And so far, all of their attempts have failed, so they've only created victims. And the definition of martyr is a person who is killed because of their religious beliefs or to cause great pain or distress to, if we take the literal definition. Um, and maybe I found it a bit more kind of effective because of the historical kind of subjugation of women throughout history. I mean, this bit very much yeah. reminded me of, of the kind of um, the witch trials. And I know that men and women were tried for, you know, for being witches, but it's that kind of persecution and that level of men kind of domineering women. I wonder if it also makes a difference if you're, you know, when you're watching this, if, if you're watching it from a male perspective or a female perspective as well. Yeah, because I think we're, we're quite, um, for, for better or worse, we're quite used to seeing um, women treated badly on film. Um, so maybe it has less of an impact on, I mean, there's no denying that this film has an impact and it, it's, it's horrific and brutal. But maybe from a male perspective, it has less of an impact because we're, we're more used to seeing that kind of thing, um, seeing women suffer on film. Well, as a result of staying in the house, as Mike will say, um, Anna is now the group's latest subject and she's imprisoned in a chamber in that same house. Um, and we basically have however many minutes of her being repeatedly beaten um, and degraded. And I'd be interested to hear what did you think about, you know, this section and like you say, the the way that violence is kind of inflicted upon her and it's a man actually doing that. Yeah, here's where I have a, a big problem with the film. And and I think it is because it's a young girl, essentially, you know, a, a young woman, what, maybe 19 or 20, um, just having... She's 17, I think. This, oh, gosh, is she yeah. that young? I mean, it the age doesn't even matter so much, but just the fact that it's a woman just being beaten horribly and, and savagely by... Uh, you know, particularly the the man, uh, it just really bothered me. Uh, and the fact that the scene went on for what felt like forever, just, oh my God, it was really hard to watch. In fact, I had to, um, to stop it at one point because it was just bothering me so much. I mean, it's, uh, it is really hard to watch. Um, so I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I agree that women are treated oftentimes poorly on film and, you know, they're definitely uh, treated badly in a, a sexual manner. You know, uh, they they should be treated with far more respect is what I'm saying. But just seeing a woman uh, beaten like this, it really, uh, oh, I, I have no words, man. Yeah, I actually, I, I too have a problem with this section, but I think for a different reason. Uh, I think a lot of the violence, especially in the first two thirds of this film, is really effective. 
it's it's really well done and really was making me flinch but when you get to this sequence and it's 15 20 almost 20 minutes of just her getting force-fed and then punched and then washed and then force-fed and then punched i i just i got kind of it got really repetitive and i thought a little bit boring which is which isn't something i should be saying about watching this 17 year old girl getting tortured but I just got kind of numb to it after a while. I was like, oh, is this just what the whole movie's going to be now? For something that I thought started out really beautifully and really art- artfully done, it just kind of became, a, I'm going to use a word I hate, a just kind of torture porn. I was like, is this going to go anywhere? Luckily it did, but I mean, there's just this 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, I, I just kind of, I got a little bit of bored. Yeah. I can certainly understand that, and and I I also felt that it it was possibly a little bit too long. But I I, I I think I kind of came to it from a slightly different angle, in that I kind of felt that that we we had to experience Anna going through this ordeal where she's slowly broken down and humiliated and 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 and, and beaten because you it would almost feel it would almost uh, this is going to sound strange, but it almost feel disrespectful to her, to her and her character to s- just skip past it. You, you kind of, you kind of need to be there with her and experience it with her to then fully appreciate, um, her, her, well, we'll come on to what happens later, but fully appreciate what happens later on. Um, so I, I don't know if that makes any sense. So I didn't enjoy watching it at yeah, all. It was sense. really hard, but yeah, kind of, you kind of felt like you had to kind of, be there and that, that that again come came comes back to the the reality that the, the the director was trying to um to bring into the movie um it would be really easy just to kind of skip it but yeah yeah matt i mean i, I definitely see what you're saying mm-hmm. and and i get what they were trying to do there i think just uh they could have shaved five minutes for, off it though couldn't they yeah, yeah for me personally it was it was a little much and i mean that goes back to me saying hey i mean it's everyone has their their limits, you know, of what they can handle. And this was too much for me personally. I will say that. It's really, really interesting to hear those kind of different perspectives because I didn't have as much of a problem with this scene because of the character's resilience. And it was kind of, I knew there was something horrible coming at the end. It was that apprehension. I just think as a woman, I just felt that she, I don't know, it's really hard to put into words, but just the general degradation and the, you know, the assault every day, you know, going through that violence, I could kind of come to terms with that. That that didn't bother me. I I just knew there was something much, much worse coming. That's what bothered me. Yeah. But I was going to say, Lucard, maybe you shouldn't watch it reversible if this bothered you. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> I, I'm uh, I'm a glutton for punishment. What can I say? <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, I hope we'll cover it, but that film was one of the most shocking films. I watched it in a film class. I reckon there were about eighty of us, and I reckon six maybe were women, and it was completely silent when we left the cinema. One girl was crying, her eyes out. And then afterwards, I was in a seminar group of, I'd say, maybe between 15, 20 of us. And I was the only girl in my seminar group. And I was asked to chair the um, 
the whole seminar and nobody would kind of look me in the eye. It was the most awkward <laughs> oh my like, God. hour ever. And it's, it's such an effective, cleverly constructed film because it's actually told in reverse. Yeah. So it ends on one note, but you know that everything else is to come on yeah. top of how graphic and horrific it is. Yeah, yeah. And that's one it really takes a few I've heard everybody who's watched it say it's taken several days to shake off. <laughs> but that's the well. same rule. I will never, ever say to anybody, don't watch something. Because yeah. I hate when people say it to me. One of my favorite podcasts was talking about um, Jack Ketchum's The Girl Next Door. Oh, and right. they were saying, oh, you know, I wouldn't recommend this to any women. And I was sitting there, I was thinking, it's based on a true story. And yeah. the it was a woman who did all of this but yeah. do you know that kind of thing so oh, this is where classification i think comes in really handy because yeah. then it gives people those guidelines to be able to, to decide what they want to watch and what they don't want to watch but i think it's really good to kind of warn people beforehand because when irreversible was screened at university we were looking at shocking cinema and we weren't told what it was or anything and like i say one girl left crying you know we don't know what people have experienced and you know, so I thought it was quite, right. you know, the tutor should have really give us a bit of a warning. Yeah, probably for a film like that, I, I would definitely say, all right, this film, you want to at least tell them this film contains this. And, you know, uh, for most of the films we uh, we cover on this podcast, I think all of us try to read up on them and do as much research as we can. Right. You know, I don't read plot synopsis, but I will get a basic description of what every film is about. So, I mean, I, with this film, you know, I knew what I was getting into and uh, I knew it was going to be a tough watch, you know. So I, I think as long as you go into to things knowing it's it's OK, but just to say, hey, sit down and watch this and then have someone <laughs> experience that. Oh, my God. You know, yeah, it's pretty rough. Definitely. And I always kind of use the example of my sister because she you know, has to be told exactly what she's watching. She Otherwise, she won't go into it at all. Whereas I'm just completely opposite. I'm too curious. But, <laughs> you know, it's like I say, it's very subjective. But, sorry, I've just completely got off on a tangent there. After this lengthy scene in which Anna is uh, tortured, Anna is then told that she has progressed further than any other test subject after this lengthy sequence in which we see her being tortured. And second spoiler warning she is told that she'll suffer no more because she's reached the final stage after um an hallucination in which lucy comes to her and tells her to let go so she she won't be afraid anymore and anna is then taken into um, another room and is flayed alive which is just most horrific thing ever yeah Dear God, yes. <laughs> the concept. I have no words. That's it. The concept alone, like to be fair, I mean, we don't really see much of the procedure, right. which I was thankful for. Yeah, <laughs> you, well, see more, you, see the, you see more. the result, don't you? Yeah, and I think that's even more effective, to be honest, because it obviously is. we're, you know, I think it would have taken away if we'd have seen um, that actually, you know, happening to her, but. She survives. Um, and yeah. again, this takes back to, you know, animal cruelty. The, you know, the videos I've seen where animals are skinned alive. And uh, I, I think he kind of comments on that as well, in in a way. But she 
survives and enters a state that is described as euphoric and likened to achieving transcendence. Mademoiselle is called for. She arrives and is very eager to speak to Anna. And at this point, I mean, Anna's been kind of shackled up when we see the final result, like Matt says, and she's just kind of, her hands are tied and her body's just kind of leaning forward and all of her muscle, it's, it's the effects in terms of makeup, I thought, were fantastic. What did you think? It's like Hellraiser, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what I thought of, yeah. too. Yeah, this yeah. to me is where uh, the film really got back. From here until the ending, I, I fell back in love with the film. This is, to me, where it really got back into something really interesting and really beautifully done. I um, I loved the effects of her being skinned. I thought that just looked horrifying. And actually, in the remake, you see more of this of the actual skinning, and it looks so bad. This is way well, they, more. They effect. don't completely skin her, though, do they? In the remake, they I just, think it's just her back. They do her back. Yeah, yeah. And it looked like somebody dropped some rubber on some barbecue sauce and just slowly pulled <laughs> it up. It looks terrible. Oh, it's so bad. This here is way more effectively done. Yeah. I, I would yeah, say it's on, very convincing. On the um, on the Blu-ray, you can actually see it's it's um not a not a negative point as such but you can see the makeup effects a lot quite clearly on the on the blu-ray um but yeah if you don't look too closely it's it's really really effective i think even more so because they leave the skin around her face yeah that's what was so brutal to me just like oh my god like she just i mean she really looks like a um I don't know, like a corpse almost at that point. Just, uh, I mean, she's alive, but really not at that point. You know, uh, the, uh, Mike, you're going to hate, hate me for this, but the, the Rob Zombie song, Living Dead Girl comes to mind. Like, <laughs> I like Rob God. Zombie's music. Okay. Well, there you go. You can't even but, begin yeah. to imagine what it must feel like to have that done to you. I, I imagine it's a similar experienced of being burned alive or something where just your entire body the, the the nerves all over your entire body are just all firing at once and and um i can understand how that could that could almost become like a euphoric feeling where there's just so much intense right. kind of pain that it all it just becomes this complete kind of euphoric thing which probably you you don't really experience like like pain in the end i would imagine yeah, it's probably true because, you know, a lot of people who are into body modification, body piercings, things like that, they say that they go into sort of a uh, euphoric transcendent state. So there's a point where you kind of go beyond pain almost, maybe. Yeah. Right. And that um, comment as well, Matt, like you said, similar to kind of being burned alive, really brought back the kind of persecution of women, particularly in, in terms of, of witchcraft. But yeah. Just for me personally reading, even though I know most women in Europe, I believe, are men who were tried as witches were actually hanged instead of burned. But anyway, um, so Mademoiselle arrives. At this point, Anna's in some kind of tub with liquid in to probably keep her, you know, moist. Alive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And um, she, Mademoiselle leans down and asks Anna about her experience. And we have, just before that, the camera goes into Anna's eye and we see 
I don't know, it's like a celestial light. Like a tunnel, isn't it? Yeah, you can interpret from that, I suppose. I'll, I'll, you know, write your things. Um, and then the camera comes back out and we see her, you know, what I took to be with that same look as all of the other martyrs in the photographs that uh, are victims, martyrs, whatever you want to call them, that Mademoiselle showed to her um, in that kind of monologue scene earlier. Um, and Mademoiselle asks her, um, you know, about her experience, what has she seen? Anna turns to her and whispers into her ear, but we don't hear um, what is said. And then members of the society have all gathered at the house to learn of the insights, because obviously this has never within this particular group um, been successful before. And during the welcome speech by um, the Mademoiselle's assistant, he mentions there have been only four previous martyrs, all of whom died before imparting information. So we then see Mademoiselle preparing herself um, for addressing the subjects and the assistant asked her if what Anna said was clear and precise and Mademoiselle confirms that there is no room for interpretation, then asks him if he could imagine what comes after death. When he says no, she tells him to keep doubting and places a revolver in her mouth and shoots herself, implying that what Anna told her was either too beautiful or too terrible for her to live with. An intertitle then informs the audience that Marta is Greek for witness. And the final shot of the film, I believe, is of um, Anna before it cuts to black what did you think of the ending mm, i loved it i i thought it was such a, a perfect kind of way to end it and I, I love the idea of you don't know if it was as you said too beautiful or too terrible and i i love kind of being left in that more ambiguous state because ambiguous endings can can go either way but i just it works so well here i thought i, I thought it was a perfect ending yeah i i i Absolutely agree. I really, really like the ending. Um, I, I think it would have been a shame if they'd actually spelled it out and said what she, what she actually saw or experienced. Um, I, I like not knowing and I like, um, having to make my own mind up about it. And I, I enjoy hearing other people kind of talk about it. It's, um, that makes it really interesting, I think. Yeah. At this point, I was still not real thrilled with the film, but, um, I didn't have, a problem with the ending. I mean, it, I do think that it's the way they did it was far better than spelling it out because, um, it leaves you room to make your own interpretation, which is always a good way to end a film. In my opinion, and to be honest, what could he have said? You know, I mean, it's, he probably didn't know what the director probably didn't know what to say at that point. So I, th I think he probably yeah. did the only thing he really could do. Um, yeah. Because we don't know, right? No, so. no. And, and and had he gone down a, a one particular route, you know, what do you, you know? Do you just say, oh yeah, I saw a, I saw a tunnel, or I saw God, or yeah, all of those things? Is just, it wouldn't have worked. No. No, no. I can... Yeah, I I do think it was clever in that respect. Yeah, and I think personally, you know, for me, it it worked. It was so creepy, and you get that kind of choral. Um, sound of the voices again harkening back to the religious tones um at the end as well it just it actually made me kind of come out in goosebumps and i i you know shivered a bit and it was extremely unsettling 
that ending, especially the first time I watched it, really stayed with me. And I said on the Facebook, um, in the Facebook group, that I watched this back to back with the Serbian film. So Jesus so, Christ! Was, oh my yeah. God! Yeah, what's wrong with you, <laughs> Becky? You, you're the ultimate horror fan here. <laughs> Absolutely, because I watched a Serbian film, and that that was pretty rough. But I, you know, I actually thought this film was. Uh, for me personally, a lot more rough than a Serbian film. Yeah. So, but man, I can't imagine watching them back to back. Yeah. Think back, I was like, why did I do that? I remember coming downstairs, my nan's like, you all right? I was like, yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you got to win some kind of award for that. <laughs> this is when I was studying extreme films. So yeah, I had to watch a lot of nice things around that. Mm. But, yeah, that really. But I said as well in the in the group, and I was talking to Matt about it that a Serbian film was very much I found, and I don't know if you agree, Lucad, but it was very kind of there's a lot of hype around it, and yeah, it's brutal and it's you know it's disgusting subject matter, but you don't see everything, and it's filmed in such a way that it's comical, it's dreamlike. Um, so I I never kind of gel with it like I did with this and like you say this was much more effective much uh, more brutal I think and it was the ending of a Serbian film that really got to me and made me angry after what one character had been through and then just decided to do yeah yeah it was the same for me now I know that Mike's in the remake um, and Matt you have as well did you catch it Lucard I watched first 20 minutes of the remake just to kind of compare the two films. So I don't have uh, a well-versed knowledge of it, but but I will say, you know, it seemed competently made. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you guys may disagree with me on that, but but I haven't seen the full thing, so no. Yeah, you're right. I, I do disagree very strongly. I thought this was... <laughs> it lacks any depth, really. I, I thought what this... Because the original Martyrs is just such a beautifully made movie i think it's uh despite my problems with the some of the third act i think the first two thirds are a complete masterpiece uh i it's so beautifully done and when you get to the remake it just adds it's there's a lot of it that's just taken right from the original and that it's just copied in a way that doesn't work and then all the stuff it does try new doesn't work that doesn't work either just nothing works none of the violence is effective um I think I mentioned it earlier. One of one of my favorite things about the original is the whole aspect of her having the vision about the the girl she left behind and how it hurts her. And that's not in the I mean, she sees in the in the remake she sees this whole projection, but I think it was supposed to be more of a projection of herself. And that really only happens I think twice in like the first act of the film until it's just completely gone. I mean, it's just. And it, I do. And plus, when you when you get to the ending of the remake, it's 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 different slightly, but it's such a. I mean, it's chuckle worthy. The last shot, it, it's ridiculous. Um, yeah, it's definitely not a, as clever or as powerful as it is here. As I said, I think I also said earlier that um, Lucy, uh, she makes it until the end of the movie, but that's a change that they don't do anything with. They really just they don't do anything new or original or creative at all. Yeah. Well, I think the, I heard somewhere that the director for the remake 
wanted to finish it on on a glimmer of hope, um, or it's, with a slightly was... or with a slightly less dark and depressing ending, I suppose. Um, so in the, it's so uh, the end of the remake. Um, although I don't know. Well, should I spoil it? Uh, I mean, oh, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> So basically, the end of the remake, Lucy um, and Anna are both still alive. Lucy is the one that is strapped onto this kind of metal frame. Um, and, um, you know, she's had the skin peeled off her back and, and all of that. And she's, you know, on, on the verge of death. Um, and, and Anna kind of bursts into the room to, to try and stop what's happening. Um, but she's also been injured and hurt quite a lot up to this point. So they're both kind of pretty beat up. And, and so at the end, they both they both. Basically, they both die. They both transcend. Their eyes flutter up into the tops of their heads and go white, and and, and they both die. And that's the, the last shot of the film is just the camera going down onto them, uh, Anna with her arm around Lucy, and they're both they're both dead there. And it just it just felt I don't know. It just it makes didn't work. sense. No, like the whole work. thing where you see Anna's eyes roll into the back of her head. I'm like, well, yeah. What I don't so, I don't get it. Well, they're suddenly they're both supposed to have become martyrs, I guess. Yeah, it's just stupid. Yeah, it just didn't have. Although it was a, it was a horrible scene. It just didn't have the power of the original film. Um, and and I just it, things like the effects. It was so obvious when there was like CG blood, and um, it, it really kind of brought home what um, what the director of the original film had said when he wanted to um, to for things to be real. He wanted everything to be in the moment while he was filming and he tried to keep as much of the, the effects in the in, in done in camera. Um and you really I think you really get that when when you're watching the original film. Whereas this one just felt it, it felt too polished and too kind of scripted and um I think we, we, we talked um earlier whilst we were having a break about how um I I found in the in the remake there's a there's a just a lot more talking, a lot more exposition. They're kind of telling you what's going on, and it just it was totally unnecessary. Um, I didn't need to be told. Um, the the in the original film, you just you know what's going on because you're there experiencing it with the characters. They don't have to tell you. Um, so yeah, it it just it didn't work. The the, the remake, it, it wasn't very good. Yeah. One of the things I found funny about the remake is. Uh, like the, the whole sequence in the original where you see the, uh, like, I guess the society come in when they first come in and shoot the, the girl and, you know, and they're all like wearing black, these black t-shirts and stuff. And they look, they yeah. know they look like the guys from hostel. Um, yes. in the, in the remake, they, it's like the guys come in, they're all wearing like polo shirts. Like they just came back from the <laughs> country club. It's a yeah. I just, it, it's not, it's so far from disturbing, which is what it messes up. That's the yeah. biggest thing it messes up. And, and it did the usual thing where it made Anna into... I don't know if they had the same names in this film, actually. I can't remember. but um, I think they do. I the mean, one who is, who's Anna, anyway. Her character, they made her into far too much of a hero. So she's running around with a shotgun and a, and a pistol shooting people and stabbing people with a spade um, and metal and a you know, wooden stick and so on. And, you know, it... it yeah, it it just wasn't realistic. Well, realistic. The original wasn't realistic, but do you know what I mean? It's the whole kind of the realism yeah. of the original, and then this kind of uh, Hollywood version. Um, it, it yeah, yeah, not great. Yeah, I definitely sort of felt that Hollywood shine on it, just from what little I watched, and that's what I meant by you know being competently made. It looked like it was well constructed, is what yeah. I should have said, but. 
but I think for this kind of film, you know, you, you really want that kind of grime. And uh, it sounds like um, they didn't manage to do that as the film went on, which is a real shame. I'm just overjoyed that Mike liked the original. <laughs> yeah, I was surprised. I was It was a really pleasant surprise for me. Yeah, I was hoping so. Um, but I'm really happy because, I, you know, I, you know, I like it. So. So with that, do you want to um, go into ratings? Yeah, as I just said, this was a really pleasant surprise for me. I thought, I mean, for the first 50 to an hour of the movie, I, I it was a 10 out of 10 for me. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. I, I thought it was so, so well done. I, I think this director, I would love to see him do some more stuff because I, I think, I mean, again, one of the things I remember about The Tall Man was that it, it it was an okay. It was better than I would I thought it was gonna be, but it still just kind of was another horror movie, which is a shame because this so isn't. This, this is so artfully done. Um, I I think when you get to the to the third act when that starts up, that is when it starts to lose me. But thankfully, it came back around like the last fifteen minutes or so, and it really brought it back to what I was loving before. I wish it could have stayed as good as it was the ho- the whole time, but there's still I I love it way more than I don't. Uh, I'm going to give this an eight out of ten. Well, uh, yeah, I think it's quite obvious that I I really like this movie. Um, I I re- I just love the fact that it raises a lot of questions and doesn't feel it has to answer them all. Um, and and I think when that happens in a film, it, it just it lingers long in your mind after you've watched it. And um, you know, we're we're now talking about it. Um, however many years later um, it's just it's such a powerful such a powerful movie um, it's not perfect it's you know it's got it's got its flaws but um, it's just it's just so visceral and powerful and challenging and fascinating um, and uh, yeah as I, as I keep saying I just I love the fact that how how the director just tried to try to bring this realism into the into the actual filming process itself and I think that really shines through um, and another interesting thing that he said um, in the interview was that he, he for him, it, the process of making this film was it was as much about the process um, as it was about the finished result. And I think that's just that's really evident when you when you watch it. it he, he, you know, he wasn't doing it for the money. He was he was doing it for the for the love of making a film. Um, and uh, yeah, so I would also give this an eight out of ten. Oh man! Well, as always, I'm gonna have to be the uh, the grumpy grandpa here. What do you mean, as always? <laughs> I, I always am. <laughs> I don't know. I think we kind of fight over that one, Mike. <laughs> uh, you can take it. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, I am older, so you know. Um, no, I really loved the first part of the film. I thought it really worked. Really, uh, I echo everything that you guys have said, but. Uh, the last part of the film kind of loses me. I felt that the just brutality against this one girl, um, it was just, it wasn't needed. And that's, again, that's just my personal opinion, but, uh, it was, it was rough. And I mean, it definitely leaves an impact, but I don't feel it was necessarily the best way to go with it. Uh, so, you know, for me, it's sort of right down the middle. I, I love the first part, and I did not care at all for the second part, so I'm going to give it a 5 out of 10. Ooh, that's a bit of a difference. Ooh, yeah. I think I would have to be at an 8 as well. 
and I agree that the first half of the film is amazing. It's very Hitchcockian, but in a in a subtle way, if that makes any sense, in that it just completely changes and turns and throws things at you, and it's very clever in its construction, um, alerting you to the fact that it's going to be doing that in several ways. And for me, the problem with the scene, that, um, it's very interesting because it's the torture scene that's, the, you know, the extended one with Anna um, is seen to be very brutal by some people and other people I've heard describe it as boring um, but for me the issue there is how quickly she is you know she becomes a martyr she transcends when you know the other woman was locked away for years and I'm sure it's got a lot to do with the individual and the level and intensity potentially of torture but that bit I found a little bit unbelievable so even though that bit dragged for me it kind of was too quick to jump to the ending, um, if that made any sense. But yeah. just for the, the, you know, the style, the um, the makeup effects, and it's interesting to hear that the Blu-ray, you you know, you can see um, they, you know, may not hold up in in certain shots. But you know, the copies I've seen, I just think it's absolutely phenomenal, and <laughs> it's it's a very visceral film. Um, in that, like I say, it really gave me, literally gave me chills at the end. And, you know, there aren't many films that, that could do that. So it's kind of right up there in terms of new French extremity for me personally. <laughs> so unfortunately, Mac couldn't be um, on the show today, but he has sent in his thoughts on Martyrs. So take it away, Mac. Hi guys, this is Mark. Uh, I just thought I'd uh, call in some feedback about Martyrs, the 2008 French movie. Mm, yeah, this one I had some problems with. It uh, it was a film clearly of two halves. The, the first part with the girl who'd been recovered and obviously had been extremely traumatised by her experience was interesting the the sort of wraith like being sort of had me intrigued uh, and and there were some points you weren't, weren't clear if it was supernatural or in her mind uh, and, and i kind of like that aspect of it and even once the sort of that first act happened there was that kind of inter- intermediate phase where um the anna had uh, found the the secret uh, hideaway and had gone down and what she discovered there that kind of i was trying to work out if that tied into the wraith you know the traumatized damaged wraith that was being seen in some way like some sort of i don't know projectional transference going on so the first girl for uh what i mean by that is the first girl clearly thought she'd done what she needed to to appease the wraith or whatever it was but the wraith was still there so was that was there some sort of connection with the girl in the you know in the dungeon but that whole bit that whole idea that this wraith being kind of got undermined quite severely by the second part of the film and it was kind of odd um and it kind of bothered me a little that 
this wasn't this did, there was no through line to the wraith it was just really a, a sort of crystallization of guilt i guess at leaving the other girl behind when she first escaped and so it didn't quite work for me and then in the second half the first part of that the you know the the business I like the sort of uh, the sit down at the table talk. I thought that was kind of cool, and it kind of made re- the whole vibe of it reminded me of a, uh, an old Val Luton film called The Seventh Victim about Satan worshippers trying to persuade this woman to commit suicide to sort of um, further their cause. It kind of reminded me of that when she sat down and started talking, but there was no choice after that point. It was kind of. Um, you know, she went through, started going through the ordeal. Now, the ordeal I, I, I really didn't like. I thought it was, went on far too long. I, I got no enjoyment at all out of it. It was, and I was kind of annoyed by about 15 minutes in. I was, I hated the fact I was seeing a, a young girl getting beaten quite severely and feeling bored and kind of wanting the film to get on. And if I hadn't, weren't, what, wasn't watching it for this, you know, this feedback, uh, and this podcast, I probably would have fast forwarded towards the end at that point, but I, I start with it. It did go on too long and I, I just didn't like the whole thing. I mean, I did, I did like the sort of the beating aspect of it anyway, but, uh, it, it just went on too long and I felt it was unnecessary. Um, however, uh, the final, the, the final, final set of scenes, uh, you know, once she's reached a site, she's reached it. I kind of liked, I kind of liked the end. It was a sort of, uh, uh, ambiguous, but I, I kind of liked that part and I liked it when there were more actors on the screen, really. Uh, overall, it was, it was kind of, it was well made. Uh, no quibbles with the quality of the filmmaking. I just, didn't like the sort of choices they made. It could have gone worse. We we did we were spared a skinning scene, for example, which could have been way more graphic. It could have been worse. But the whole beating thing, it was just uh yeah. Wasn't really for me. Didn't enjoy this film at all. It seems vastly overrated. It's just because it's cinema of the extreme and so it generates an extreme reaction, I guess is what makes it popular. But to me, it wasn't generating extreme. I felt uncomfortable and I just, but I, it was, I was just, like as I say, a bit annoyed about feeling bored when I've seen this brutality going on. Uh, you know, I should have felt something else. I think other films have done this level of brutality and I have felt, I've had a much stronger visceral reaction to it. Uh, an example one is Passion of the Christ, actually, where, where Jesus is getting, uh, flogged. I really, you know, that had a real direct visceral impact on me, that scene, but this film, no, didn't. Uh, I'd give it, I think, uh, 5 out of 10. That's all I'd do. Okay, bye from Mark. So that was Mark talking about Martyrs, and he really didn't seem to like the film. He was kind of on par with you, Lucard. Yeah, I definitely think we sort of felt the same way, but I think maybe he disliked it a little bit more than I did. I really do like the the first half quite a lot. It's a tough watch. I mean, I, I definitely get where he was coming from as far as the uh, very long scene with the, the torture. You know, I, that's rough, I think, for anyone to watch. Yeah, and he was yeah. um, specifically saying that he didn't want to feel bored, but he couldn't kind of oh, help yeah, he- <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I didn't feel bored, but I I know I did question, like, my God, how long is this going to go on? I I do find it fascinating how different people 
respond to the film. Um, yeah, and so it was really interesting to hear Mark's Mark's thoughts on it. And um, I think, yeah, as I said, I, I think that although although the um, you know Anna's Anna's torture is is kind of long and laboured, I yeah I didn't I kind of didn't agree with Mark's well I, not 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 that I didn't agree, but I I kind of felt that was sort of more necessary to the story and the progression of the story as we talked about earlier. But yeah, it's it's fascinating how people respond to these things in different ways. Yeah, I'm not complaining. Yeah. I think Mike, it was you who said that you were you felt a little bit bored during that scene as well, yeah, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to listen to Mark's feedback actually, but yeah, if that's what he said about that he was bored about, I definitely do agree. Although what Matt brought up, I that aspect to it about how it was necessary, I found that interesting. I didn't think about that. I mean, it still did bore me. I still think it goes on too long, but I, I definitely think that that's a really interesting take on it. So we've had quite a bit of feedback this week um, on a f- couple of topics. Um, firstly, obviously, Martyrs. So, um, Luca, do you want to go through these? Yeah, I'd be happy to. The first one is from Kyron Fisher. Hopefully, I'm uh, Kieran. Kieran Fisher. <laughs> yeah. Irish name? Allow me to... Irish name? Um, he's Scottish. Okay, oh, yeah, sort of but... a Celtic name. Then. <laughs> <laughs> nice. He says... Martyrs is a masterpiece. A masterpiece, I tell you. Anybody who says that extreme movies can't be high art should watch this. Green. Matt Dune says, Martyrs is one of the most finely woven, cerebral, and tasteful offerings from the horror movie scene ever. When I first saw Martyrs, I was seeing a girl who was also into horror movies and had read, it in a, had read about it in a form. So I figured, date night. (laughs) Ooh, that sounds rough. (laughs) The plan was, go out for a meal, back to mine, watch Martyrs, then round off the night with some Bow Chicka Bow Wow. (laughs) (laughs) There was no Bow Chicka Bow Wow. (laughs) And that ends his comment. (laughs) Why am I not surprised? (laughs) Yeah, I guess that one doesn't leave a good impression, huh, Matt? (laughs) Uh, yeah, and I will say, you know, this is not one I would show to my wife. I mean, I, I have told her a little bit about this and she's just like, I think her comment is like, why do you watch, why do you watch these things? <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I think if I showed her that it would be no bout to wow wow for me either. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, moving on, Josh Hewitt says, I enjoyed this movie a lot. I didn't find it as hardcore as it's made out to be, though. I mean, yes, it is trippy at the end, but Inside was way more brutal, in my opinion. And I've not seen Inside, so I I don't know. What do you guys think? I haven't seen it. Josh is yeah. made of uh, hard stuff, if you didn't find this hardcore. <laughs> I think Inside, in a lot of respects. It's more gruesome in its violence, I think. As a woman? Um, <laughs> I think. Considering yeah. what happens, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's just the belly button scene. You know yes. what I'm on about. God. That that's the yes. out of my. Oh, you just yeah. But Watch the belly it. button well, scene. Or, or don't, but yeah. <laughs> <I look forward laughs> that's to that what episode. got me more than anything. So, Josh, as we used to say back in the ECW wrestling days, you're hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next up, we have Philip Perron from Dark Discussions. Yep. He says. 
being ethnically French-American and Quebec-French-American, it should be noted this film was filmed in Quebec and jointly produced by Quebec. Also, don't bother bother with the English English language remake, as I butcher the English <laughs> language. <laughs> so, yeah. I think we are all on the same page for the English version. I think <laughs> yes. so. Yeah. Jules Boyle writes, "There's not many folk that agree with me. I was really excited to see Martyrs after reading the cover feature in Rue Morgue. It sounded awesome. And by the way, that's an awesome magazine. Yeah." Uh, the first act of the film was actually awesome. Totally balls-to-the-wall mayhem. No idea what was going on at first. Really exciting, brutal, kinetic, proper edge-of-the-seat stuff. But then it just turned into 40 minutes of pretty much a girl getting punched in the dial. Absolutely <laughs> bored the arse off of me. Just kept thinking, come on, throw us a freaking bone at the screen. I felt the same way. Except, <laughs> I agree. you know, not... Not bored, I was just like, oh dear god. <laughs> <laughs> then, as soon as they revealed what the cult were up to, I thought, see if this ends with her getting told the truth. But we can't hear it. Then she tops herself, I'm going to crack up. Uh, that went well, dot dot dot. <laughs> so, um, and next up we have audio from Rick Powell. Rick, who was the author of uh, Patient 151 that, right. we, that I mentioned earlier, the short story. Yes, indeed. So take it away, Rick. One thing I liked about Martyrs is everything was a mystery. From when it was released, with the trailer, and through, you know, word of mouth when it was from other people and from the internet, that people just say, you gotta see how old this movie is. It's really terrifying. It's a great film. And as you're watching it, a third of the way in, it takes off in a totally different direction um, that you had no idea was coming. And the last 20 minutes of the film, it's even more shocking because you were able to see exactly what lengths people go through to find out what happens after we die. Now, one thing that's shocking to me is that is something that is very plausible or could happen in real life. And that's what terrifies me the most, is, especially with the children at the beginning of the film what they were going through when this happened. Now, one thing that I noticed that I could take into the end, which is probably up to conjecture and so many uh, people say is, what did she see at the end? And it's never really revealed. Did she see the hair after, or was all that just an hallucination? And when one of the main characters said at the end, keep doubting, well, did she take that final step right before the screen goes black because she found the answer or that she didn't? Now, that's what makes good storytelling is you leaves it all up to your imagination of what happened. Sure, there are some shocking scenes in here, some of the most extreme scenes I've seen in a long time, and one thing I applaud is that France has taken the genre and put it in a new direction in the early 2000s. And I hope they keep it up to this day. That was something refreshing, something horrifying, and something that was very imaginative and creative that I have not seen in a long time. So that is my take on Martyrs. And 
why I liked it so much. And thanks for listening. This is Rick Powell signing off. Well, thank you very much, Rick. That was the greatest audio segment we have ever had, according to Mike. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, it's great to um, have some audio feedback from Rick because he contributes quite a lot in the um, Facebook group. So it's always great to read his posts. And I've got to say, I really like his accent. Nice. And I told him that actually on the on the Facebook group, and he was really surprised that he had an accent. He's like, "Really?" I'm like, "Yes, you do. Everybody does." <laughs> Sometimes people will say that I have a Southern accent, and I'm like, "Really?" I don't hear that at all. No. I'm glad of that. Do my best to cover it up. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we have some very last minute feedback as well from Talisha, and she has left this um, in the Facebook group. And it's great to hear from her and hear from, I think she's the first woman. <laughs> I hate to keep going back to gender, but it's nice to hear from <laughs> a woman um, with her perspective on the film. And she says, sorry, guys, but I had to watch in shifts, which means I'll be finishing it later. Just too much usage of cutlery for one sitting. And she says, spoilers. I actually want to know what was the nature of the hallucination that Lucy kept having. We see that she's doing things to herself. Yet the whole point of the society's experiments was to see what lay beyond the veil of death. The um, woman who was imprisoned downstairs, who's termed as Sarah, was also cutting herself before the society killed her. What do you think is going on there? I wondered if it was because they reached the edge, but didn't finish transcending. As a result, they brought back a demon with them could also be an illustration of how abuse continues to haunt a person long after they've escaped it. And um, Rick's actually commented and said that he agrees with the um, comment about abuse. And Matt Dunn came back as well and said that he thinks the visions were the repercussions of their experience. PTSD type effects, if you will. Self-harm is a common and well-documented coping mechanism for those with acute mental health issues, which can be caused by just watching the film, which I agree. <laughs> uh, let alone being one of its protagonists and then she talks about how, how horrific the straight razor was so I thought yeah. her comments about potentially added on to all of your comments when you first saw this manifestation and you thought it might be a demon or a ghost I thought that was really interesting that they potentially brought back um, something from a, you know another dimension beyond the veil whatever you want to call it and that adds yeah, a whole new dimension to the film huh yeah that's interesting yeah, yeah, very Which interesting. Kind of skewed Definitely. my perception of it, so that was really interesting. So thanks to Talisha. That's another film. That's a film I want to see. Yeah. And last but not least, we have comments from Brett Stroll on episode 15, and he is talking about Onibaba, which that was a great episode, guys, and uh, I'm very much looking forward to watching that one. He says, hey, UNH, I'm very excited to hear you guys covering Onibaba which is, in my opinion, one of the greatest horror films ever made. It's such a wonderful movie, but it doesn't seem to be well-known. And I'm glad you guys are covering it, because I genuinely believe it really does deserve to be considered among the Texas Chainsaw Massacres and Suspirias of the horror world. That's one I've not seen. <laughs> oh, goodness. We need to rectify that. You need to see that one. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. The first time I saw the film, I was actually angry when it was over because after thinking about it for several days, I began to appreciate the purposeful ambiguities of the film. I still have obviously no idea if the demon was real or not, 
but maybe it was both real and unreal at the same time. Also, I would recommend watching it in the dark with the volume up, as the ambient sound design of the reeds constantly knocking together gives the film a truly suffocating atmosphere. I think that's the best way to watch any horror film, to be honest. Yeah, definitely. He goes on to say, I didn't grow up with horror films, so I don't have the same nostalgia for films of the 70s and 80s that many horror fans share. However, after discovering classic Japanese films roughly around the 60s, I found these movies to have such a fantastic vision and wonderful style that they are by far my favorite time and era of horror cinema. I'm sure I've blathered on about them ad nauseum on Horror Etc. page, but I think it's worth repeating that if you have the slightest interest in Japanese horror, I can't recommend enough to getting a trial pass of Hulu Plus and watching all the Japanese Crichton horror movies, especially this one, as well as Jigoku, Haisu, and The Living Skeleton. Take care, guys. Brett, thanks for the recommendations. That's awesome. I actually, I have a Hulu Plus account, and I did not know that these were on here, so I'm going to be checking these out, definitely. Uh, Japanese horror is something that I've I've wanted to watch more of for a long time, just because of my interest in uh, anime horror, which I know you guys discussed, uh, I believe it was last week, with Attack on Titan. Yeah, Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, so, you know... it seems like um, Japan was really far ahead of the, the curve in the 1960s and uh, I believe even the 50s in cinema. And uh, just want to thank everyone for their feedback and um, keep it coming, guys. We really do love it here. So as usual, we have another recommended podcast, and this week it's Not in a Creepy Way, and it's hosted by three brothers, Eric, Jason, Andrew, Anderson, and they, and I quote, probe deeply into movies, TV, music, and pop culture, but not in a creepy way. And I've been, nice. <laughs> yeah, I've been a listener for a while now, and I really highly rate the show. Have them, any of you caught Eric's? No, 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 I haven't come across that one before. I have. I really enjoy this podcast a lot. These guys are, uh, they're awesome. Yeah, definitely. Um, They normally take a single film as the focus and they cover all genres, not just horror. So they have posted in horror, etc. before. um, And I try and like post in there as well, just to kind of get people listening. Because, you know, it still surprises me that people haven't heard of them because um, that, you know, like I say, Eric in particular contributes to horror, etc. quite a bit. And he also is um, in the UNH Facebook page. But they're really humorous. Like, I was listening today to their most recent one on Roadhouse, and I was just laughing all the way through. And I've got a particular song stuck in my head now. Um, have after an episode listening. on Roadhouse. Yeah, that's the latest one. It's great. I um, absolutely have to oh, listen man. now. Yeah. Yeah, I can't wait to listen to that one. I am subscribing straight away. <laughs> and... Um, they're in depth, but at the same time, it's very easy listening, if that makes sense. And I don't mean that in a detrimental way at all. Um, it's just 
not some podcasts can be very dense and very factual which is great but this one's a really nice one to just kind of um listen to and have a good time with but it is still really in depth and you know i learn something from every single episode um and for me, standout episodes are their coverage of uh, Red Dragon, Silence of the Lambs, Copycat. But they do all sorts of recent ones on Memento. They've done, you know, um, what's it called? Star Trek. Yeah, the zombie film as well. The Dead Snow things, you know, Wreck. That was oh, a really yes. good one. It's yeah. a good one. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, they're just really laid back. They're, they remind me a lot of uh, my brother and I. We're, we're very laid back too, like them, so... That's what happens when you get brothers who get along podcasting. Yeah, and they're really funny, like you say, in a really kind of um, just laid back, straight way. You know, I just laugh at everything they say. Yeah, but but not in a creepy way. Not in a creepy way. (laughs) And um, you can find them on Facebook, Stitcher, and Twitter, and I will put links in the show notes. Um, But, you know, enough for me kind of jabbering on. We actually have a trailer from them, which is absolutely hilarious. So take it away, guys. Three hot guys from the frigid north talk about movies coming into your ear hole. Not in a creepy way. I'm not sure I would really be enticed by a podcast offering to have a hot guy come in my ear hole. I think that's already a porn. Luckily, it's radio, so we don't have to prove our hot guy status. Visit www.notinacreepyway.com or search for Not in a Creepy Way on iTunes or Stitcher Radio or your favorite podcatcher. Not in a Creepy Way. Next week, we're going to be looking at another in our Bloodsucking Vampires and Horridy Commas series, and that will be Blackula from 1972 and also Scream, Blackula Scream from 1973, which I'm very much looking forward to. Oh, man, I love these films. Yeah. I I will say in advance, I realize that they're bad, but I love them anyway. (laughs) And yeah, it it will reflect in my rating (laughs) next week. First time watches for me. Oh, man. I'm excited. You're in... For a treat, or you're gonna absolutely hate it. I love black exploitation movies, so okay, you're gonna okay, love awesome. it. Then. Yeah, and it's it's a nice kind of um, break from what we've been watching for this week. I think so. We, we've kind of timed it quite nicely. And as you said off air, Becky, Black History Month. Yep. So we timed it quite nicely there as well. Totally on purpose. Definitely. <laughs> oh yeah, we're on top of it here. <laughs> So um, we would love to hear your thoughts on this week's topic or anything else horror-related. Please email your messages in MP3 or WAV format to unitednationsofhorror at gmail.com um, or drop us a line at this address. Um, you can head over to the website for all of the latest podcast information, articles, and reviews. And that is um, unitednationsofhorror.com now because we have some news don't we lucard that we do thanks to uh you and mark being on the ball we do actually have an official url as you said united nations of horror.com by the time this podcast goes up everything should be transferred over but just a warning there may be a few bugs so if anyone spots anything please let us know and we will definitely get all those fixed so we're really excited to actually have an official home now on the web. Definitely. And if you haven't joined already, be sure to head over to the Facebook group. And that is www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash UN of horror. And today, thanks to Lucard, Matt and Mike for joining me. And we'll see you next time here at the United Nations of Horror. Cheerio. 
Have you listened to the trailer? I am I have, not. I have to get that like my kind of podcast. I gotta <laughs> give it a listen. Yeah, the trailer is so funny. He sent me two, and he's like, "Should I go for the?" I was like, "Definitely this one. This one is so funny." Yeah, I have to get that from you. That'll yeah, I'll send you. Please. Did any of you ever used to listen to a podcast called "Yeah, It's That Bad"? Yeah, yeah, was, and no. do you know why it stops? Because there was just no information given out. I uh, I don't know why it stopped. No, uh, other like, than I, no, I conspiracy I, theories. They just came on and were like, "Something's happening," and I was like, "Oh my god, what well, is what, it?" And one then... of the they they tried very hard to keep their their identities a secret successfully, but I but it was something to do with one of the guy's colleagues at work realized that they were doing a podcast, and for some reason that was a big problem, and so they shut it down or they they stopped doing it. Oh, that's weird. So, where, where did he work? Area fifty one? Was he giving away government secrets? I don't know. I, I don't know. But <laughs> really, yeah, man. So, but it was it was a stuff. really funny podcast i don't I, I just thought of it because you talked about the way that these guys um in not in a creepy way have a you know are really funny and laid back and then for me that's that's how uh yeah it's that bad was the the guys yeah. on there they were they were all they were all best mates and and they just had a really good rapport and they were really funny and yeah it was oh, a short-lived man. one it only went on for a, a year or two i think but um really there's, really there's good quite a substantial backlog so i would also yeah. really recommend that and also for humorous kind of takes um how did this get made and we hate movies are both hilarious <laughs> I get and well um how did this get made covers roadhouse um con air hilarious um especially and tango and cash and oh my god yeah and we hate movies again every, Again, copycat they they cover, and it's just hilarious, absolutely brilliant. So nice. I wish I could figure out a way for us to get away with covering Roadhouse, but I I can't relate. <laughs> I would count horror. it as a like, horror there's, movie. <laughs> there's, oh, I don't know. It's hard. I mean, I guess you could, but <laughs> we'll figure out a way. The, the, the sex scene in it is pretty horrific. Yeah, it's pretty yeah, horrifying. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Somehow we're gonna make it happen one of these days. Well, you always have a sister side, like Dark Discussions. Um, that's a horror fantasy podcast, but they have a sister podcast that only focuses on Game of Thrones, which oh, is smart. called cool. You Know Nothing, Jon Snow. <laughs> oh, that's very good. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, you never know. We can maybe cover those because I love that film. Yeah, we'll, we will figure out a way to make it happen. Maybe we'll have like a UNH action zone or something. I don't know. <laughs> yes. If Can we get one to talk about action movies? That would be awesome. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we, we should totally do that. And we got to include like some Chuck Norris films. Oh, I won't be there the for those episodes. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Chuck Norris. Van Damme. <laughs> yes, Van Damme. I'll be there for that. Yes. You should just call the, just call the podcast The Expendables. There you go. Yeah, really. Oh. Spendables podcast. <laughs> All the horrible action movies that are awesome from the eighties. I'm oh, so up for that. Kung Fury. <laughs> Kung Fury is like honorary. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I Some watched it this week actually. I should have talked about that, but yeah, I watched it this week as well. I love it. Oh man. Next week. Next week. Yes. Because I can always talk about Kung Fury. I'm, I may try to watch it then. If you go, if you were gonna talk about it next week, I could try to watch it because it's like a half hour long. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. it's, it's honestly, I was laughing cast. my head off. It's so uh, cleverly yeah. written. Yeah, you just sat there I'll with a smile on your face the whole time. You're just like, this is so funny, so brilliant. Yeah. Oh, I was like a, a kid watching that because it's just like all these references, you know, just 
going back to the 80s, everything from my childhood, you know. And I love the yeah. fact that it's all so bad. It's all so terribly done, <laughs> but in a great, in a good way. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's like, it, it even looks like the VHS, yeah, yeah, the VHS yeah. tape with the lines going through it. You the know? acting. Oh, it's just awful, but oh, God. fantastically yeah. awful. <laughs> This is my favorite bit where he's like, he was stripped by lightning and bitten by a cobra. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. But I was talking, I posted on Facebook that I was watching it and I was recommended um, Manborg. I was told that was even better, but I haven't seen that yet. Not heard of that one. What's it no, I haven't seen Man- that one either. Manborg. Yeah, and it's by the same. As in Cyborg, but yeah. Manborg. Yeah, and it's by the same people who oh, okay. made oh, the, the um, wow. not not the same people as that. Sorry, the ma- same people who made the editor, the Jello homage. Okay, oh, really? I haven't seen I've that heard yet. really good things. Um, and also there's a third one called something like the Stepfather or something. But uh, they're all homages to a particular genre. And because I, I, I was talking about Lara Croft as well, a comic book I was reviewing, and I was in how she was my idol, and apparently. Manborg will replace her as my idol. It's that good. Mm. <laughs> awesome. So, yeah, I look forward to maybe oh, too many on. films to watch. Oh, tell me about it. I can literally only really watch at the minute what I'm reviewing or we're covering. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty much the same for me right now. But, well, you'll you'll have to watch a lot of wrestling, won't you? Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> Writing these articles, it's, it's a good excuse to watch wrestling. <laughs> You can never watch too much pro wrestling. I actually I thought about talking about um oh what is it uh Lucha Underground today, but I was like, ah, it's not horror related enough. But I there know. are some horror related wrestling movies, aren't there? Or there, doesn't, doesn't there WWF is one make movie. a horror movie or something? Am I or am I completely? Yeah. Oh yeah, they produced yes, uh, what was like uh, the one with Kane. Kane. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. Kane. Yeah, it's, no it's absolutely horrible. <laughs> okay. but you know. Sequels even uh, worse. But there, there's, there's also another movie, and I cannot think of the name of it right off. But it's, it's like uh, really low budget, and it has wrestling. Like they'll have like a vampire lady in there versus the movie oh or monster brawl. Like I think it's something like that's that. That's it. Yeah. Yes, and it's. I love that movie, even though it's absolutely horrible. But it's two things I love, you know, horror movies and pro wrestling. So. But yeah, I guess we better do the closing here, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're doing a show. <laughs> yeah, we are doing a show. Uh, really, it's quite nice when you just kind of get to chat about stuff. I think. Yeah, yeah I, I I'm sure that. you can like leave some in now. Yeah, that'd be nice, I suppose. Just... Maybe I'll just like put it at the very end as extra <laughs> our little podcast extras. Here. Yeah, yeah, I'll be the bloopers. Yep, yep. blooper reel. Um, I haven't done that yet. So, oh, no, I think the worst one was. I don't. I don't know if it was me saying. The what was it I said about um, that the film Nymphomaniac and I called it ne- Necrophiliac. Oh, Necrophiliac! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Slightly um, different, slightly different. Yeah. Or when um, Lacard was talking about uh, what's it called, the Jersey Devil, and made and the way he said it made out that he completely believed that it was true. Oh yes, the Jersey Devil is real. <laughs> <laughs> and me and Mike were just like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think you guys were like, um, this guy's crazy. <laughs> I wasn't going to say nothing, but... <laughs> All I got to say is, the truth is out there. Very, very awesome. true. <laughs> I'm sure X-Files has done an episode about it at some point. Yeah. I just haven't got there yet, so, but... Um, so, 
just to quickly say, um, it's um, what's it called? Thingy month, isn't it? We're covering black exploitation, and it's um, February is oh, what's the word? Oh, black history. Yeah. So quite, in, you know, we, we timed that quite well without realizing. I think, or did we realize? I didn't realize. <laughs> I didn't realize either. So. Oh, we're covering ones. Oh, is Blackula this month? Oh, that's next Black week. Yeah, it's next week. Yeah, I've and... mucked up in the notes and put Candyman. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Oh, that's good because yeah. I was. I wanted to talk I actually about Candyman, got... but I can't do next week. So. Oh, so that's well. we'll... So if it's another week, that's great. That's that might be. We'll do Candyman right. soon. I actually uh, got Blackula on Blu-ray, so I haven't watched it yet. Blackula's on Blu-ray. Really? Yeah. Yes, and it, it is remastered, Mike. Oh my god. I did too. Is yours the uh Shout Factory version? Um I'm not sure actually. I got it um for it, Christmas, so I've not, I've not even opened it yet at all. It might be a different distributor in the UK, but I've you know, I've read their remastered and everything. I'm like, wow, Blackula remastered. Yeah. Does it come with Scream Blackula Scream? Yeah. Yes. Nice. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, so I'm excited to cover Black Yellow next week. Yeah, definitely. And um, I think I think um, Jess is gonna watch that with me, right, hon? I don't know where she went. <laughs> <laughs> now, are we doing both Black Yellow films or just the first one? I think we're gonna cover both. Yeah. I mean, they're so easy to watch, you know. Right. And it makes and a nice change kind of from so... all this stuff. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I need something sort of comical happening, <laughs> watching yeah. martyrs. Yeah. I thought this was a riot. 